All right, guys, welcome back to the Seek One podcast, the podcast that is most likely to get us canceled. Oh, man. We have a very special guest on us on this episode. <laughs> Round of applause. Oh, wow. No, you. Yes. We're talking about you, right? No, you, oh. Bill. Oh. You're the star of the show. Oh. oh. Uh, we have Bill, who you've seen in some of our videos, hey, uh, specifically the North Dakota video when we introduced you hey, guys. to our channel. Bill is a military vet, 21 years, right? Yes, sir. Uh, created the app Spartan Forge, which is an amazing app. If you guys don't have it, you need to try it. Uh, Go ahead and plug the code. But yeah, you can use our code to try it out for free. Seek Seek One. Seek, yes. Seek One. But they got they need to go to the website. Yeah. SpartanForge.ai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. AI. And we'll we'll dig into that later. But we are in Drew's backyard right now. We're sitting around a campfire. Great ambiance. Urban Hunt Camp. This is Urban Hunt Camp. I hope they can hear the crackling of the fire because this is. It's great. pretty awesome. I'm wrapped up in a blanket. I'm half drunk. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and throw this out. This is probably going to be some explicit content. If you're 18 years or older, you probably want to turn this one off. Younger. Yeah. Yo- 18 wow. years or younger. <laughs> or older. Yeah, so that gives you a pretty good clue what shape I'm in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is around the campfire talk. So. Yeah. I, I said it earlier, and maybe it's worth mentioning again. We might only get about 15% of deer talk. Yeah. That, that was my next point. Okay, good. This podcast is going to go in a million different directions. This is probably going to be a long podcast, and I have no idea where this is going to go. It might be 10% deer hunting. It might be 90% just like I have no idea what's going to be talked about. But what I do know is that I'm the dumbest person on this podcast right now. Oh, shut up. That's 100%. You guys say so many words that I have no idea what they mean. (laughs) So, okay, last night, Bill came in town yesterday, right? Or was it two days ago? Two days ago. Two days ago. Okay. We went out to dinner and we're like we're talking about all this stuff, and Lee is over in the corner, like on his phone, just like not saying a dang Fuming. word, so not saying Fuming. a word. I was and not going to bring it up until now. <laughs> I was so pissed. I don't remember the last time I've been that pissed. I could see it. Bill, so Bill is just laying down, just like words of wisdom, and just like we're bouncing. Oh goodness, no, from, I wasn't doing that. From topic to topic, and Lee's just like totally, dis- totally disengaged. Gold. <laughs> At some point, you're like, guys. We all just I cursed, shut I, I cursed the hell you up. out. No, I didn't say I yeah. cursed you guys out bad. I was yeah. like, Bill, this is the only time I say this to you, but sh- and I, shut you know the what F I up. Yeah. yeah. I was so mad because I was like, guys, this is podcast gold. But then it happened again. Burning it. It happened again earlier, and he immediately switched to his phone, just started I looking saw, at his phone. Yeah. I disconnected. I just like. Was that why, though? Yes. Because I'm like, if. if but we're not going to talk about We're not going to get deep into that stuff. No, no. So, okay. We just had a we just had some delicious backstrap first oh, of all. Oh man, that was yeah. amazing! Of From the buck that Drew just killed, that I killed and, two days and ago. And so I, think. I want, what was it? The grill you used? I mean, it was so tender. And I was just telling Drew. Usually, I need 10, 12 days of hanging something yeah. to make it that tender. It was seriously like as tender as a New York strip. To be perfectly honest, I don't. My knowledge on the whole processing side of things and aging meat is limited. But we're digging into it because we're talking about making a processor here in Atlanta. It was so good. But I think the I think the key with that deer is most of the time it's how the deer dies. If mm-hmm. they're really tense when they die, then yep. the meat's not tender. It's got the lactic lactic acid. In that it. deer yeah. died yeah. quick. It died quick, and then it's been it's been in the the uh, freezer, which I run as a refrigerator with like this little external modem thing. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. For like two days. So tense. Um, 
I mean, folks, but it's it never it's never been tender. frozen, so I think that has a big part to do with the tenderness and the freshness as well. Yeah, and then that grill you have is awesome too. I want to get one of those. It's a Komodo Joe, which is essentially a green egg, but it's got more features. Yeah, it looks more. A lot. It's it's like a fancy big green yeah, egg. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's also what's, red. What's crazy is the the people that own that company. It's Matt. It's owned by Masterbuilt. They're it's a family that like is involved with the high school that we went to. Oh, cool. So, yeah, we got kind of got connected through uh Well, it was delicious. School. But that anyways. Amazing. Because when you said it's the buck I killed two days ago, I was like, oh, this could be a little uh, this could be a little tense here. Oh, yeah. Wow. It was delicious. Yeah. It was amazing. So our first podcast uh, seemed like it was a hit. I think people liked it. I, I, I think don't know it why. Was, well, was I it think your it fart? was. Yeah. I mean, people did mention my fart a lot. I just burped. Like, I'll probably fart some this podcast as well. I'll make sure to capture the audio for you guys out there. Um. I haven't been drinking many protein shakes this time, so that probably won't have the the only aura three today. That the last one did. So. <laughs> yeah, only three <clears throat> in the last twenty four hours. But I think it was kind of like people's first glimpse, like like when we're doing YouTube videos, it's just such a small narrative of who we are. Yeah, it's and really I, like I, a cross section. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a a fraction of the entire picture, and I think that this podcast is like hopefully an opportunity for people to kind of get the get to know the the who we are uh mm-hmm. kind of the realness of it that kind of makes me nervous they may not like what they <laughs> <laughs> they have this like this just like i don't some presupposition, pre- presupposition of who yeah. we are based on the videos that we put out and the more we put out the more the more they learn about who we actually are <laughs> and it's scary what we're all happen. flawed individuals <laughs> yeah. is what we are 100% flawed there's yeah. no doubt about yeah. that yeah um, but I will say the first podcast, there was a couple takes of takeaways. I think we started a huge debate. Um, and Bill, I would like you to say <sighs> no, this word. Don't go here. What word? I'm going to show it to you, but I would appreciate it if you would <laughs> read this word to me. Bill there was is, a couple things. Bill is a man of multiple languages. so He speaks like four languages. Three. Three languages. His, your daughter speaks four languages. Correct? I'm not my daughter. <clears throat> Correct. You are not your daughter. Yes. But your daughter speaks four languages. She's pretty smart. Your daughter, you does your does your daughter speak four languages? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, I kind of feel like he's gonna go with not what I'm hoping he's gonna go with here. Me too. Because I feel like Bill and Drew are very uh, connected intellectually. I feel like an outcast right now. I'm definitely oh, no. definitely. I do not. I'm gonna dumb down this. When you here, here's my role in this podcast we're about to get into is when you guys go down a road, translator, it is way over the head. I'm gonna bring you back to earth. All right. I don't feel like I can do that. Please read this word. Oh, this is hilarious. Please. Niche. Yes! No. <laughs> no. Really? Oh, man. I mean. We just peaked the crap out of the mics, but I don't even care because that makes me f- feel smart that Bill pronounces it like that. You know how many? It's how not, much? I first of all, I am not the threshold for what makes things smart or not smart. <laughs> <laughs> that we have to dispatch with that right now. Um, that sparked a huge debate. Of so how do you niche. say it? I say niche, like N I T C H, and we got so many comments on our Instagram that was like, "It's but pronounced niche." niche. Be like N I T C H. Agreed. Yes. Y- yes, but like. I'm not trying to be a dick, by the way. Can no, I say I know that? You're Wait, not. I'm sorry. Can I say that? Whatever. Yeah, you, you dropped that bomb. I don't earlier. know. I just, I did. Yeah, you didn't know we were recording, but we oh were... yeah, I didn't know we were recording. You're not releasing that. It's going in by there, by the way. So, I'm gonna have to ask somebody else. But I mean, I googled it. I asked Webster during that podcast, and it said, "I don't niche. trust Google." To be I... fair, 
I'd Googled it later and it said niche or niche. <laughs> yeah, it would actually be both are acceptable. Yeah. I, but I, I messaged Drew afterwards because there was people that were commenting like, ain't no Georgia boy calling that word niche. <laughs> because like in French, the word niche. <laughs> ain't no French That's mind. hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I, t- I was giving Drew this feedback and... Not in America, sir. Instead of the response of like, haha, that's funny. It was like, Drew was like, I did more research on it. And uh, I forgot what you said, but it was like, you did, clearly did more research on it and was like, it, I guess it can go either way. I was just saying that to be funny. Like, hey, yeah, we kind of sparked this debate of niche, niche. <laughs> it's like, so you like guys. in French, it's the, like niche is like a kennel. Yeah. It's like an alcove. Yes. Like a little place that you go. Um, there's one more question. Well, there's several questions, but there's one more question that I want to ask you. Because I, f- I feel like you would settle this debate for me, oh, no. or you you would give really good God, insight. I hope I'm with you on this one because um, this with- Drew is super familiar with this question, and I feel like whenever we have a guest on this podcast, I want to ask. We've this had question. many, many, many in the years past of this podcast, so you are actually our first guest. I feel honored. <laughs> but really? when we were when we were on Bo Martonic's podcast. I hate, West. God, I hate yeah. that guy. I he's the asked worst. Him this Is he question. He's not the worst though. Can we just get yeah, that out of the way? Freaking gosh, the intolerable. I can't even like. I we'll have to cut it out if I say it. So I just won't even say it. We're being uh, sarcastic. He's a good dude. But he's the best. Um, I asked him this question on his podcast, and it you know like we kind of got into this debate about it. And I, I think it's a fair debate. I get a, I ask a lot of people this. I get a lot of mixed opinions. Drew has a different opinion than me on this one. But I feel like with your military, like you, I feel like you're a guy that has seen the world multiple times over. You just have lived a lot of life that in not a, many in people one get lens to, that yeah. not many people get to see. So I'm I'm kind of excited to unpack. Oh man, your brain a little bit. But is this going to be a super deep question, no, or is it going to be like <laughs> it's going to be so shallow that absolutely you not. can't even imagine? <laughs> but I feel like with your military experience. And just your intellect that you may know the anatomy part of this question oh, to give a fair answer. And I, I'll say before you ask answer, ask the question, I'm sorry. Um, I've also been drinking here for a few hours, people. So um, I feel like our society, we, the military, obviously veterans, the military, it's a very noble thing to get into and to do. But I feel like we ascribe way too much virtue to it. <laughs> like having been on the inside like no question we need soldiers we're the be- you know it's best army in the world but like we get a lot of undue credibility um mm. sometimes so i just I, i'm trying to i'm trying to use that statement to tamper anyone's expectations of myself you're well because there's probably people listening to this who's way smarter than me and they're like man that bill thompson guy's an idiot <laughs> um and so i'm just telling them hey i know that i'm dumb and so you are i think that a lot there you go <laughs> Good. So anyway, your question, sir. We'll, we'll, yeah, the, the, the listeners will get a clear picture of that at the end of this podcast. I'm sure that I'm way smarter than you. Anyways. You're at least better looking. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> Do I need to move my chair a little further away from you? I feel like I'm getting <laughs> some weird vibes. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go All there. right. So here's my question. Um, You're both. Oh, never mind. Go on. I'll take any compliment I can get. Your question, sir. Oh, you're both better looking than I am. Your question, sir. But who's better looking? Out of the two of you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Keep your uh, shirt on, please. Anyways, so, golly, guys, we got re- to hone this in. <laughs> yeah, we this do. Is getting we're, we're getting off. We're on the rapid trails right bad now. Folks, quick. this is going to be 
All over the ask place. Ask the question. I'm trying to get there. All right. What's in the box? I, I want this to be a question I ask anybody we have on our podcast because your response tells me everything I need to know about you. Oh, my goodness. No Would you rather be bare-fisted punched in the face by Mike Tyson? Like, you just have to sit there and take it. In his prime. So, not as he is now, but Mike like Tyson one time or multiple times? One punch. Okay. Bare-fisted. He can punch you. He can uppercut you. He can punch you everyone in the head. Oh, that sounds horrible. As hard as he possibly can, you just have to stand there and take it. Or... Would you rather take a Tiger Woods driver to your shin? Like he just takes his driver and swings into your shin as hard as he possibly can. Tiger Woods can. driver to the shin. Thank mm. you. No question. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I don't die of brain damage yes. in that. No matter just, what happens. Dude, here's that's the, thing, the though. point I've been trying to make. But if you're getting punched in the face, you can make your body as limp as you want it to I be. I don't know you this well, and I feel like we might get to learn each other what do you, a little you more here. You know me here. so well. I mean, I feel like I know you, but I don't know you this well. How many times have you been punched in the face hard? I've been I've been not cold out. I did MMA for okay. all through. I wrestled all through high school, MMA and jujitsu through college. Oh, we should roll. I sparred with a dude. So there was this one dude at the gym I I uh, trained at, six six, super athletic, wingspan of a freaking eagle, and I was stupid. So now I'm stupefied. That you would rather take a punch from the greatest fighter that ever lived. But the thing is... Besides maybe Muhammad well, Ali. So, I sparred with a guy. Sparring is not my strong suit. I'm much better on, on the ground from wrestling. Yeah. This dude straight up just, like, cold knocked me out in about 30 seconds. Yeah. But, it, like, when you get knocked out, you just kind of forget about it. And yeah, but when like Mike Dyson knocks you out, situation here. you will change the way you produce words with See, your mouth. See, Bo's answer... Was a punch to the face from Mike Tyson. What? Dude, you would be amazed Whoa. how many people I get that answer from. And I'm like, dude, if worst case scenario with the driver to the leg, like maybe I lose my leg. No. Okay? I'm still alive. Yeah. I still know who I am. If you get a bare fisted Mike Tyson punch to the face, like I feel like the you are potent like best case scenario, severe brain damage for the Let's rest put of your it life. This way. There are no prosthetic heads. <laughs> <laughs> There are only prosthetic legs and arms. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you can't, you can't get the doctor. Like, to cast point, you like if head. he uppercutted you. Oh, dude! I feel oh. like it would detach your head from your spine. Like I feel like you have the potential for death, severe Absolutely. brain damage. Absolutely. As opposed to like I'm gonna live. I'm gonna be fine if I take take the driver to the shin. There are these kids up in Canada where I I lived for a couple of years up in Canada when I was young, and they were knocking each other out with like um. Uh, like, you know, sleeper holds, yeah. essentially. And one of the kids had fallen and hit his head on the side of the table and died. So it's like, that's all the force mm. it, it, you, it takes for you to just get hit the wrong way. I finally and feel like I can rest my case. Mike Tyson can absolutely apply that force. So wait, you're telling me, Drew, whom I love like a brother from another mother, that you would rather take Mike Tyson's fist... You said bare-fisted? Bare-fist. To the head over Tiger Woods' ball to the shin? Because I've taken a ball on the fly. No, it's not a ball. Are we he's, talking? He's taking a driver. Oh, oh, a and driver. And straight hitting your shin. Are yeah, we, still, I'd real, still rather take the driver. Okay, thank Are we you. talking chin, temple? Wherever he wants. It's Back of the head. That's All a gamble. Are bad. I mean, if I have to get hit in the face, I want to get hit right here. Forehead? Like top of your forehead yeah, where, that, where, it, where it crowns. Yeah, I mean, I just don't want either, so 
All right. Well, I feel like I can move on from that. I've rested my case. We can move on to That's other topics super interesting. Now. I can't wait to hear what, you know, I, other people. I promise you I've probably asked 100 people in their in my lifetime that question. <laughs> and I would, I would tell you probably 80% say they would rather take the Mike Tyson punch. Other similar questions involve Conor McGregor and a bunch of chickens with razor blades attached to their talons. That. I also, I also think, uh, like, could you beat Conor McGregor in a straight-up fight if he was like a... If he was like three, three foot three, <laughs> maybe three, three, maybe three foot six. <laughs> no. <laughs> he has to slip I one punch. I kind of agree with you. <laughs> like, he has to slip one punch. <laughs> I could go down that rabbit hole for hours, but I feel like we need to get onto some actual topics. I mean, here. that question is great though. I mean, if I had a podcast, I just thought of like what my question. See, was. that's the way my brain works is I'm full of ridiculous questions. And I'm happy that we have a platform where I can now exploit those questions. <laughs> Why don't we start out by giving the backstory of how we met Bill? Yeah, I think that's fair to get on some sort of uh actual narrative. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Somebody want to so, handle this? Yeah, I don't we remember. um so we had Taylor Chamberlain in town, which if y'all don't know him, he's the urban bowman. Um, he hunts Washington, D.C. Uh, a good bit. And he was, I mean, early on when it came to like the suburban game, the knocking on door type stuff, uh, he was kind of the other guy. It was kind of us and him. And early, early on, there really wasn't that many people doing it. And so we kind of connect with him. Well, no wonder you guys dominated <laughs> it's not very stiff competition. And uh, dang, was that Taylor? Taylor, I love Taylor. We'll We're take several joking. more. Well, I'll take three or four more jabs. <laughs> so he's an amazing golfer. So, anyways, Taylor came in town, and we were kind of building out the master class, and we were doing podcasts. And uh, Taylor said that he had met Bill, and Bill was building this app that, um, as opposed to like human, like other deer predictability apps out there where it's like human experience with deer that bill was creating had basically taken seven years to create this app that was gathering basically collared deer data from several different universities plugging it into like your an ai type of um program that is has that is de most definitely the most accurate deer predictability uh at platform out there for sure yeah I, we, I mean i can truthfully say that right now yeah for sure um, and you combine that with the mapping and everything you're doing with that. Like you just built a whole, like a really awesome holistic app. Yeah. In about seven months. Yeah. So what makes me happy about which, this? Which I think is, we did it. I think it's cool. You were building it while you were still in the military, like your heart yeah. and your passion was in hunting. And as yeah. you're kind of entering that retirement into your career phase, like you were kind of building this yeah. thing out. I mean, I get home from work and I'd spend about two hours with the kids mm -hmm. and then I get to working on this thing until about one or two in the morning. And I wake up at six and I rinse and repeat and do it all over again. You said seven months. I, you spent seven years. No, the last. I just saw a massive shooting star. That was cool. Wow, that's beautiful. Wow. No, I've I've been collecting and aggregating the data for seven years. Right. So there's two. I can parse this out. There's two separate efforts. The first effort was just to make a machine that could predict deer movement, and I've been working on that for seven years. And then what happened was I was getting ready to partner with a couple of other mapping companies and either they just thought they could, you know, run roughshod over me or they didn't understand the value of the work that we were doing. And, you know, they were offering us paltry numbers to integrate the capability. And I was like, look, the hard part here is not the mapping. 
That's the easy part, actually. Right. Mm-hmm. The hard part here is everything that I've done that I'm trying to show you guys. And either you're failing to understand it or you just don't value it, which is fine. Maybe it's my problem because I'm not relating the value here. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I'll just go build the damn map. Like I, the map, I can do that. So I've been working on the mapping part and everything else besides the deer prediction piece for seven months. Mm-hmm. But I've been working on the the deer prediction piece for seven years. And you were able to get access to information that nobody else has, period. Yes. It was just took a lot of like, you know dinners with academics and hey how you doing and hanging out and so backing up a little bit taylor just like almost like nonchalantly says hey this guy that i met recently it was very recently yeah we just met met like a month or two yeah he was like hey i think you should probably talk to this guy i think he wants to talk to you he's got this idea for this app and we're like okay yeah i mean i didn't know he was gonna talk to you guys about me because i was yeah i don't know if you guys remember i I was bass fishing I don't with think my he was son. supposed to. Yeah, he was like dropping. Yeah, hints he was. And stuff. He was almost like, I'm not supposed to talk. Well, about we had this. him under an NDA, <laughs> <laughs> so that shows how much you can trust. An him. NDA <laughs> with Derek Bogan about his good as toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, it was solid. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was bass fishing with my son because I remember he met. Uh, like I was on this, like this river where I barely get any service, and um, he messaged me. He's like, "Hey, I just talked to the Seek One guys about your app." like son of a son of a gun and he's like hey you got to come up because they want to talk before they want to talk before you leave and i was like well the telling my kids hey we gotta stop bass fishing we gotta go up and get some 4g lte so i can talk (laughs) to these guys well the the timing of it was was right because oh it couldn't have been more perfect yeah and to be honest with you like you know, there's a, there's there's other apps out there but you were the first person to combine them all into one and make them better you improved what was out there, combined it into one. And to be honest with you, what, what Drew and I were using, like, it was just slow. Like, I was getting frustrated because the imagery wasn't pulling up. Like, I'm driving around oh, like and I'm three having Three of our bigger, like, like between you guys and Levi and Taylor, the first thing was, like, I'm constantly losing points. Yeah. Which it's is, like, glitchy. a dumb data problem yeah. that is so easily fixable, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like if I get a guy that's like Drew or Lee or you know Levi Morgan says I'm losing points, it's like that's my priority. Is like we can't have a hunting app where you lose points, where you go out and walk or spend a half day off from work, dropping points in a map because you're scouting, and then they just get lost. Mm-hmm. And I think Levi said he lost something like 1,200 points or something. Like really? That with one of the apps he was using. Oh, yeah. Crap. So combined with the timing of it all, and then meeting you. Like, after meeting you and spending time with you and getting to know you, like, you're a really good dude. Like, you're just a uh, really good person. You're a sweetie. And you, like, <laughs> we can, I don't know, like, you just meet people and you know. Yeah. And it, it, I don't it was. I how much we want to bro out in this podcast, but I yeah, feel the I same. Gonna, I, I feel the same leave way. Should I you all alone for a little bit? No, no, I, no, I feel the same way about you, too. You so did. You don't leave. You're the one making weird comments. Oh, Anyways, stop. It's just like, you know. We gra- kind of gravitated to each other. Like, yeah. you're just a really good... You, when you meet someone you know that's, like, got a good, good, genuine heart, like, you want to you want to work with them. Yeah, but also, like, my thing with you guys and with the people that I've surrounded myself with in Spartan Forge, one of my things in my military career was never that I was the smartest, really, at anything that I did. In fact, I most times wasn't. But what I could do was bring together people, you know... In the in the in the special missions units that I worked in, I got to like assemble my own teams. My strength was never that I was the smartest guy in the room. My strength generally was I could find the people that I needed and and compri- like get a good team together. 
of people who have, you know, unique interests. And my thing when, in this hunting venture was I, I want to bring people together who are genuinely, you know, from their foxhole in the military, as we say, or from their perspective, are, are genuinely interested in making other people better hunters and better people at the same time. Yeah, I, th- I think and that's I, the heart of what you're doing is I really with do. what you made is like you want to give you want to help those people like become to become more successful, give them any sort of advantage they can. Yeah. And if you have a guy that's, you know, a dad, has got kids at home and he's like trying to plan a trip or, yep. you know, should I go hunting this weekend? Should I take time to scouting? Yeah. Whatever. And it's like he has this app that hopefully helps him maximize his time in the yes. woods when time is so limited these days, especially today. Yeah. Uh, that that's kind of your mission and your heart behind it. Yeah, and it's just to do that and to do it in the best way that I know possible. And and to be honest, anytime you're processing data, the best thing that you can do is remove the human. Yeah. Because when you take mm-hmm. the human out of the equation, you remove the bias. Yeah. And that's the best thing about neural networks are they act independent of bias. Yeah. Um, as long as your distributions are normalized. I'm not trying to be um, nerdy here. But... Um, but for me, that's been my, that was my talent in the military is finding the right guys. And, and I, I still am, you know, working every party that worked for me in the military, I still communicate in some form or fashion with, but then also when I get all of those guys together, we're always like, you know, brothers from other mothers. And then the same thing happened this year, I think, I think at the Spartan Forge veteran hunt get together. It was a special thing. It, it really was like everybody just like gelled and got along and everyone was there for the right reasons. And everyone just, um, I don't know how to explain it. It was like a bunch of frat brothers or something or old military, but buddies or it's the only way I can describe it. We're getting together for the first time in a long time. And everyone was just genuinely, um, you know, in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. And every, everyone is still talking like yeah. in those groups yeah, I mean, there's in like a group. brotherhood, little yeah. fraternity thing that's kind of... And that's what I hang my hat on. Like that is what is that is what this is yeah. all about for me. And so kind of unpacking more of you is that there's probably going to be stuff that we talk about here that I don't know if... I, I don't want you to say anything <clears throat> about your military career that you're not okay saying because... And I won't. Y- you've done some crazy stuff that... Maybe you can, maybe you can't say, but essentially you used to use AI, gather intelligence to track down and kill terrorists for the, for our military. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a multitude of fashions, but like one of them would just be something simple because people hear that and they automatically think like, you know, that Shia LaBeouf movie where he's got like the eye in the sky and he's killing people. That's not what I was doing. I have no idea what movie you're talking about. There's some movie, I don't remember what it is, but it's like. He's got this like artificial intelligence I know tracking what you're him. About. I can't remember what it's called. And it's, you is know, it, is it it's Shia LaBeouf? It's Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. But, um, big Shia guy. Let me, let me put this in a way that people might understand, right? Like maybe a terrorist network comes up with a really esoteric or like unique way of passing or parsing data through a communication system. I, then what I might do is use artificial intelligence to decipher that communication system so that we can target them, right? So it's not as, like, sexy as, you know... When you say it, it sounds a lot sexier than... Well, that's my you job. Know, what actually, <laughs> actually, what I was doing was taking pack shared, pa- um, packet capture data 
and deciphering it so we could make sense of esoteric net networks that were deployed around the Middle East. You know, that doesn't preach. <laughs> no one cares when I say that. And that's not really... I have no idea what you just Don't said. Don't sell yourself short. You told us... But ev- yes. Everything we talked about last night, which probably should have been recorded, escape and evade... Oh, classes, no, that was just like Sears School. Halo, jump classes. But those are this. just like classes that you go to. And there's like an old saying in the military, like you can go to ranger school, but you're not a ranger. Um, like these are just schools that I go to. And, and a lot of those schools I re-enlisted for. Like I didn't even really have a reason to go to the school. I just wanted to because it sounded cool. Yeah. But um, all, all I'm trying to say is there are people in the military that do a lot cooler jobs than the jobs that I did. You're it's being not, modest. It's not in, in, inaccurate to say that in my military intelligence job, as an, both an enlisted guy and an officer, we leveraged artificial intelligence to track and you know execute a targeting cycle on a bad guy. Why don't you spend three minutes giving a background of your military career? And I've never, I don't think I've asked you the question before, but like, what led you to join the military in the first place? Jeez. Like, what, that, yeah. that might take more than. Uh, no, I can do this in three minutes. Okay. It's just, it's just funny because it's not going to be what everyone wants to hear. Um, I wanted to get the hell out of North Dakota, mm-hmm. is why I joined the military. Well, I should say first. I knew I wanted to leave North Dakota because essentially in North Dakota, if you're not a farmer or a banker or a person to support industry that supports farmers or bankers, there's not a job for you in North Dakota. Like that's basically the whole industry. I would think that the major, like more than 50% of the military would have that same story. Yeah, maybe. Um, so what I did was we had recruiters come to the school like my senior year. And they had an ASVAB. Essentially what happened was I had these teachers that always used to ride me because my father was a a mechanical engineer and very smart and a farmer. And, um, you know, went out and made some machinery and did a lot of cool stuff and, you know, had all this awesome stuff that the teachers at the school I went to knew about. And then they saw me. My father died when I was young. And they see me and they'd be like, look, you know, you're you're manifesting some of the same characteristics your father manifested. You should really try to go down the same route that he did. You could do some things. I had this teacher, her name was Connie Trenbeth. She would sit me down like every week or two and be like, you're wasting your life. <laughs> like you could be so much more. Cause all I wanted to do was make fun of people, talk out of turn, cause trouble. Um, I had, I hadn't focused my energy. I didn't know where I wanted to put myself and I was able to still get like, you know, C's and B's by doing that. But, um, Essentially, you were a C and B student. Yeah, I never would have guessed that. What would you have guessed that was? Straight A's. Oh no, hell no, no uh, C's and B's, and I never cracked a book. And in fact, there were some classes where I would just listen to what was being said, and then I would mm-hmm. gauge how well I could do, and by and then I'd pride myself like an asshole by not opening the book and still mm-hmm. passing the class. We had a guy like that in our in our grade. His name is Michael I, Douglas. And that guy pissed me off so much. No, not the actor. This guy, Michael Douglas. If you're out there, please contact us. I would actually love to do a podcast. I I want to probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. Dude, he would sleep in class. Yeah, that same story. Show up with one shoe on, just (laughs) aloof, like just. I I wouldn't say I was aloof. I was actually trying to distract people. But I remember being. I remember that we got had a health class that my football coach taught, and we had gotten brand new books that were in the plastic. And I, there was this other kid who was kind of like a jack off as well. 
and his name was Bryce. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to get a B in this class or I'm going to get a C in this class. I was a C. I said, I'm going to get a C in this class and I'm not going to open this book. I'm not going to take the plastic off. I'm going to hand this book back in with the plastic on it. And I did it. And at the time I was proud of it. Now I look back at it and I'm like, what a waste of time and flesh and thought and time. Like every, like everyone. So anyway, I had this teacher who was doing this and I, I shouldn't have focused on that because I'm chasing rabbits, but essentially the recruiter started coming to school and this teacher said to me, you should go take this ASVAB, the armed services vocational aptitude battery. And, um, if you take it, you can get the second part of school off. Like you get the afternoon off if you take this test. I was like, if I get the afternoon off, I'm taking this test. Like, just tell me where to go and do it. I think it was the armory. I had to go to the armory and do it. So I took this test and they ended up coming back and saying like, I did pretty well on it. And then we had started at that time. We had kind of like abandoned the SATs and gone to like what was called the ACT. Mm -hmm. And then I'd done really well on that Ooh, too. What'd you get? What were your scores? 36. 37. No way. What? Uh, on an ACT? 36 or score. No, a 36 or 37. No, it's not a perfect score. No. Oh. It was up there. This is where we need the fact because checker guy. Here's here's why I know it was like 36 or 37. Yeah, yeah we need Because that, that the Jamie. teacher, my teacher came to me and said, you're wasting, like, you're wasting it all. What's your SAT score? I didn't take the SATs. You didn't really? No. I thought SAT were so. If thirty like six is a perfect score on an ACT. Well, then maybe I had okay. Then I take it back. Maybe I had a thirty five or something. Almost perfect. That it was. It was up there enough that this same teacher came to me and was like, "You're wasting your life." ACT is way more difficult than the SAT, from my experience. I don't S know. SAT I didn't take the as long as I you're didn't like take the SAT. SAT. If you can, if you're just a good test taker, process of elimination, you can figure it out. ACT is like actual testing your knowledge of different subjects. So, funny story. Did I you took, even I took, did I, you take either? I took both. I don't remember what, well. Did you break a thousand with both added together? Now I feel like I, I need to research. I did. So, <laughs> so, before you go any farther, I feel like I need to research and get, actually get what my number is. Because 36 is perfect. Fine. I mean, if a 36 is perfect, then I think it was probably a 35. Yeah, that's, that's like, that's crazy. unheard of. So, no, it's not unheard of because there's another kid in the school that actually did better than I did. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the, the, the recruiters came to the school and here's the, here's the first reason why I chose the army. Sorry. Right, like there's a bunch of services and we're way beyond three minutes, by the way. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. I chose, I chose the army because all of the girls that I thought were hot in my high school were talking about how hot the army guy looked in his uniform. That is that woodland camo just really got him going. It was like the class A's at the time, which looked like we call them the Gumbies. But they were like this all Gumbies. green uniform. Yeah, it was this all green uniform with a green shirt, green jacket. So that's why I chose the Army. So I went and talked to the Army recruiter. And um, he's like, yeah, you did really well on this like ASVAB. And you can pretty much choose any job you want. At this time, I was like 17. So I'm going to cut this short because I said three minutes. I went to the MEP station. And being a douchebag 17-year-old, I was like, you know what sounds cool? Having a gun and a badge. So I want to be an MP. The guy's like, you want to be an MP? All right, cool. Let's make you an MP. So What's an MP? Military, military policeman. Police. So Smarter than you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 21 of the ACTs. <laughs> so, so we went to the... So I had to drive where I was from is Cavalier, North Dakota. We had to drive from Cavalier to Fargo, North Dakota, which is like three hours away. Fargo. Sure, you betcha. Insert the Norwegian jokes. But um, oh, we'll get there. Anyway, we drove up there. And as like an idiot, like an irresponsible idiot, I'd forgotten my driver's license. So as we're doing like my MEPS packet. You did packet, that today. 
I did do that today. <laughs> yeah. Wait We're, a second. We no, my wallet. No. All right. So, because what my I wallet, what I, I forgot my wallet. And my what phone. I do want to get into after your story is your hunting experience here, because this is your first yeah. suburban experience. Yes, it is. We leave at my house this morning. I'm taking you to a late season spot. We're like sitting in the driveway, and he's like, "Oh, I don't have my wallet." I was like, "Well, do you need it?" He's like, "No, I'm fine." You sure? Yeah, I don't need it. Okay. All right, we'll leave. Driving down the road, driving down the road. Did we get to the spot or did we like no, we were halfway there? there. We're almost there. We're almost there. And he's like, oh, I don't have my phone. I was like, huh? You forgot your wallet and your phone? Mo Fracky, do you (laughs) run an app How am I supposed to know if anything happens to you? Does your company work? Does it run on an app? You're supposed to be the smart guy. Well, <laughs> you're pulling be, my move. Hold on now. To 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 put, I'll lend some context here. Lee was like pressuring me to hurry up. He was like, "Are you ready? Are you ready? Drink your coffee. Let's go." And I was like, "Okay." I was sitting at the table, like grabbing my stuff, and I just was tightening my boots, like tying my boots up. He's like, "Are you ready to go?" And I and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, let's go." And so I went and grabbed the coffee, and I put my phone down when I grabbed the coffee. I I didn't need the wallet ultimately, but um, because you paid for my chicka chicka boom boom. <laughs> Another inside joke. Sorry. Um, so, anyways, get back to your story, so, and then so I'll. So we'll I want I want to end this because people don't want to l- listen to this much about the military. So I get to the Meps recruiting station, and they basically did like Meps, like you know, signing you up and actually putting you in the army. I think they did it once a month, or maybe it was once every two weeks. But essentially, what it meant was, if you're from like the Grand Forks recruiting station in North Dakota, where I was from, they would only in process people in the army every two weeks. So he was like, well. You can't be an MP. We we have to like submit a packet to Big Army saying that you're going to be a military policeman. And the only way to do that is with a copy of your driver's license. And I was like, well, it's at home and I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't have it. And he's like, all right, well, you have to come back next month. And I was like, not only no, but like F no. I'm not coming back next month. Like, you need to get me out of North Dakota right now. I can't be here anymore. Like, I need to leave. If I don't leave now, I'll probably get, I, I remember thinking to myself, I'll get arrested in the next month because I'll just go crazy. Have you been arrested before? Not, not. Because I way, have. Yeah. Not, not, um, I'm talking, no. I'm way, I'm giving away way too much information. This yeah, is we gotta a tell very vulnerable place for me. <laughs> got to tell the arrest story. I'm going to say stuff I really shouldn't say. Well, I, I have been arrested, not in this country. Uh, and that's another podcast. I've, I was okay. arrested overseas once. Um, regardless. So I said, no, like, what job can I do now? Like, I need to leave tomorrow morning. Because what was going to happen was they're going to put me in a hotel room. The next morning I was going to get on a bus and go to basic training. And the last thing in the world I wanted to do was go back, like, not to tell a sob story. But what I, all I was thinking was I have to go back to my shitty trailer in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota and wait another month to leave and, like, my first thought was all my buddies are going to make fun of me, like the army rejected me, whatever. Like, you know, it wasn't going to go well. So I was like, you guys need to tell me what job I can do and leave tonight or tomorrow morning. Like, what is it? Like, well, you did really high on your, your GT score, score, like your general technical score. So we have like, you know, thoughts we're trying to fail for military intelligence. And I was like, okay, cool. What's that? What am I going to do? And um, they said... Well, here, we're going to give you this language test thing. And I was like, all right, I know I'll do well on that. Um, like my mother, when I grew up, they'd speak Icelandic in the house. So I was like, I feel like I'll do pretty decent on that. So let's take that. So I took that. And he's like, yeah, you could be like a 98 Charlie or a 98 Juliet, which is essentially like an intelligence guy that listens to like 
other people speaking languages and um, you could do that job. But you have to get briefed by this recruiter guy that has to come in who's got a clearance and you have to go into like a SCIF, a secure compartmented information facility and get briefed on the job. And all I heard was like James Bond music. Like all <laughs> Which I was, we're going to get into that. Yeah, uh, all I, no, we're not. But yeah, all I heard are. was ding, 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 ding. That's all I was hearing. Cougar Magnum. Like I knew, <laughs> I knew, I knew immediately I wanted PP7. to do that. And it, meanwhile, Golden it was like the nerdiest, worst job in the, like my initial job in the military was like, um, radar analysis. Like I was doing analysis of like, um, you know, people can Google it, but like, pulsed repetition interval for radar stuff it's just like the driest worst stuff a bunch of math but what, to me what's the it's a white claw guys don't get too excited it's not a beer it's a white claw <laughs> i'm just kidding it's a bush latte or no it's not it's a it's a mickey anyways i think what's cool about what you just said is like i think everybody out there has something they can point to that's maybe like a small detail in their life that tra- changed the trajectory of Old their trajectory. entire life. And that's exactly and what And yours that came down to a leaving forgotten my wall- ID. Like wallet. leaving my wallet at home. And it literally changed the entire trajectory of your, uh, yeah, trajectory of your life. Absolutely. Like, I think everybody can point to some, like a moment like that where it's like, wow, if that hadn't happened to me, I never would have gone down this road that led to this. And, and if I had become a, an MP, I would have hated myself. Right. Like the moment I figured out like what MPs were all about and I have and, nothing against MPs or it's a necessary function, yeah. but you're literally arresting your brothers. It's like, oh, you're a cool guy on base. That's really to risk your life for country and everything else. Well, guess what? You're doing a 39 and a 35. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going well, to jack you up. <laughs> to not get too like philosophical because I don't, if we go down that road, it's just going to go really bad. No, it's not going to bad. It's just, we could talk about it for hours, but to me, like, I don't look at those moments, those itty bitty moments like that as coincidences. Like, I think that there's oh, no. greater meaning there that that's yeah. ordained. Like God had a hand in that. It's literally that, the reason I'm here tonight. Yeah. Me forgetting my wallet. Mm-hmm. I can tie a string from that moment to us that being changed it all. here right now. Well, I was going to, before we got about, we're, we're 45 minutes in. At like 44 minutes, I was going to say, this is the only time I'm going to get I'm gonna get deep on the podcast. And before we hopped on, started recording, we talked about some stuff that like has been extremely important to Lee and I with the whole brand, and that's our faith. And Bill went on this tangent about, and I, I provoked it, I asked a question, a very deep question, yeah. about creation versus, how do you reconcile science and creation? Yeah. The creation story in Genesis and the Bible. Yeah. And Bill literally just like, just started spewing this information that he's obviously spent hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah, months. Just pondering. You've just taken and such a different look at it. Then. It just like, I was, I was focused on what you were saying, but I was also like, holy crap, like, this is not a coincidence that Lee and I got connected to you. Absolutely not. Because... We're unique and you're extremely unique and like people like that don't just get connected no. by coincidence. And I think that's why I believe so much in like you as a person and yeah, and what you're doing and things like that. Like to me, it, it was less about the amazing like thing you created. It was more about like, I just feel like there's something else here. 
Yes, and I, absolutely. And, I, and then there's just like a deep connection with you. Yeah. <clears throat> and I know that from Drew and I's vantage point, like when we stumble across somebody like you, we just like the opportunity to, to do anything we can to help with, with someone who's genuinely just like good, like you, like I, I do believe like we're talking about that it was just kind of ordained. And I'll also throw out there like, yeah, we're sitting around a campfire. We're having a few drinks. We've said a few, you know, slur words, but we're not perfect people. Like we're all flawed, but that's the nature of like being a believer is that like acknowledging that we are not perfect. We are, we are flawed and that's like why we need a savior. Yeah. So like, I don't, I think people get too caught up and I, I guess if we're being like totally honest here on this podcast, like I think that's part of my worry and kind of why I joke about like, you know, this is the podcast that's going to get us canceled is like our faith has been a very important part of our mission of our videos, but we're also like normal people. We're humans. And just because I like to have a whiskey with my butt, my buddies or a beer with my buddies. And sometimes, you know, I say some, some words I necessarily really shouldn't like that doesn't make me less of a believer <clears throat> or less of a Christian in my opinion. Like just speak to humanity. We are all people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So like, I don't, I hope that like nothing we ever do points or gives the image that like, Hey, we're Christians. We think we're better than you. Yeah. And that we're trying to be perfect. Right. Everything that we do. Yeah, It couldn't be farther from the truth. We're trying the best that we can, but at the end of the day, like we're people and, and people as a whole, we're all flawed. We all have those things that we all fall short of the glory of God that make us, you know, individual and unique to who we are. And I don't care who you are. Everybody's got something they struggle with. Yep. Absolutely. So, I, I I think I just wanted to throw that out there for people listening that may be like, oh, you guys are talking about your faith, but you're you're drinking or you're you've said a yeah. curse word yeah. or something like that, and it's like, yeah, we are. I mean, it, it's it's me. We're being real. We're wearing our faith on our sleeve. We do like to enjoy times with friends like this. It's a special moment for us, but it doesn't make anything that we believe less real. Yeah, and Moses was a great prophet, and he also threw him down as well. Yeah. As far as I can tell. This is a joke, but um <laughs> so well he did. But yeah. anyway, um yeah, well it's true and it's it's one of those things where um I don't know how to put this. The, you, I'm not going to get deep in this podcast. I, I should There's about 15 we, other we, podcasts. We, we, we did it. We could yeah, do about 15 could... other podcasts, but very quickly there's like these two different ways that people talk to each other. And it's kind of how I evaluate who I want to surround myself with. And there are people who want to be right all the time and, you know, kind of hang their hats on being the smartest people in the room and the intellectuals. And they would rather win an argument than forge a relationship. And then there are people who want to, when they're in dialogue with someone or with a group of people, it's like Christ said, you know, where any, you know, two or three people are gathered there I shall be. There I shall be in your midst. Mm-hmm. There, there I am, right? So th- there's there's like the Greeks had two different ways of how people interact, two major different ways. There are lots of them, but there are two major ones. One was called Philo-Nikea. One was called Philo-Sophia. Philo-Nikea is like when you're trying to talk to someone else to win the argument. Mm-hmm. And then Philo-Sophia was where we're, you're trying to have an argument or you're trying to have a discussion, and but everyone's trying to better each other. 
Yeah. And I feel like when we get together or when everyone, you know, even at the hunting camp out at the, uh, the veterans hunt, that was all Philo Sophia. Yeah. Like we're all trying, that's where the word philo, philosophy comes from. Yeah. Philo Sophia, right? Um, the love, and so when we're all getting together, we're just generally, everyone's just trying to better each other. Yeah. And everyone's truly concerned for everyone else. Uh, yeah. And that's just like a great place to be with guys. I 100% agree. And I, I think that like as a hunter, as a, as a, as a man, as a, as a person, I think when you enter that headspace of like, I've got it all figured out, you're I have done. nothing else to learn and you're not a sponge anymore of, of just like that desire to learn more. I think that's a dangerous place to be Yeah, because yep. I'll, I'll relate it back to hunting. Like Drew and I have been doing the urban, you know, we feel like we've mastered our craft. We've been doing this for 16 years and it's crazy to believe that we've been doing it for that long. Right. But I still learn, we still learn stuff every single year that about these animals and just like learning from other people and other people's experiences. And it's like when you lose that, just that want to learn more and constantly digging in kind of deeper and like absorbing information instead of feeling like you need to project information. Right. I feel like, I feel like the absorption is, is the place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Cause absolutely. there's so much to learn from other people and the experiences they've had whether it has to do with hunting or just, you know, life experiences, things like right, that. Everything. Yeah. And so the, with me and with Spartan Forge and with you guys, I feel like we all have that common cause, that common thing where we're actually just, everyone's just trying to better each other. We're just, we found and some like good people. When we interact in our Slack channel, as we're doing the stuff about the application or something that you guys are doing or content or whatever, it's like, Everyone's just genuinely concerned for each other now, and seeing everyone yes. do better. But there's and that to me, talking. there's absolutely shit talking. <laughs> but it's, we talked about this earlier because yeah, it did. was like if if you, I think you and I are the same way in that that it's like if you're not giving someone a really hard time, yeah, that means I don't like that you. That means I'm or that I'm skeptical of you, right? But if I'm giving you the beans, like I'm giving you a really hard time, <laughs> that beans. means I like you. Like we're, we're, you know, right, exactly. we're having a good time. We're vibing, yeah. you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I feel like everyone's just right now listening to us forming our tight relationship. And they're like, <laughs> they're like right. can we just get All to right. something else here, guys? What do you do? What do you do? What, what okay, did you so do? Okay, so I joined the military and I was, became what was called a 98 Juliet, which is an electronic in- interceptor which essentially meant I did analysis of radars. Um, and it meant I had to go to like a bunch of math schools and learn everything I could about radars and how radars work and why they're important for like jets and the cold war and all of that stuff. Um, and then my, my military intelligence career from there kind of, uh, took some different, I kind of got into like the cyber realm in my spare time. I was, um, learning some programming languages and doing stuff at home. And it was, I wanted to learn, uh, I had first learned like HTML and uh, how to do websites and Objective-C and this was just stuff I was doing in my spare time. Um, and then I'd gotten into, you know, cyber and people hacking had really gotten, like kind of grasped my attention and how that works and what people are doing. And uh, I'd gotten, essentially the military has this program called the Great Skill Program, which is you can Google, but it's essentially like an accepted career program in the military where they recognize that you have like some unique skill sets. In the military, we have a problem where no matter how talented you are, 
everyone has to go fire rifles on Wednesdays or be at the motor pool checking on vehicles on Fridays or, you know, road marching 40 miles in a week. You know, like there's these tasks that you have to do. But then what the military started to recognize, especially the Army, was um, we can't have the guy that we're, you know, having working on our computer systems or securing our infrastructure worried about his 15-mile road march on Friday morning when he's got to secure a network for an entire division. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, he can't... It's like, hey, you know, Joe, Private Joe Snuffy, you need to be in that road march Friday morning. It's like, well, actually, I need to secure all these nodes and terminals because, you know, we're getting information that our network's going to be hacked before we deploy to Iraq. And, it, and so the Army recognized, like, oh, we probably need to separate these guys that are really doing this kind of, like, crazy shit from the rest of the formation so that they can't be concerned with this stupid stuff. Not stupid, not stupid. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. I apologize. What I mean is stuff that you shouldn't be bothering someone with who's trying to secure the cyber, uh, uh, capability of, uh, of a unit, like its ability to communicate. Mm. So what the army did was they created this thing called the great skill program, which was essentially they recognized people, that have unique, you know, skill sets and aptitude and ability in certain areas. And they kind of remove them from the rest of the army so they can just kind of focus on their tradecraft, like their thing that they do, um, and not be bothered with some of those more mundane things. Um, and it really was a great move because the only way you're going to get like a really proficient cyber force or a really proficient, um, all of these types of jobs is by allowing those people to focus and hone in on their like one task. You know what I'm saying? Like they can't yeah. be bothered with a ton of other stuff. That or you need to hire civilians. Mm -hmm. It's one or the other. But civilians can't break things in the military. You, only army guys can break things. So, so they recognize this kind of space where military guys need to be doing this stuff. So anyway, I went into that program. And then my military intelligence um, career there really blossomed because I was able to go into all of these different directions. And essentially it was like, wherever I found had aptitude, they would just allow me to go take courses. So it was like, Oh, you're into this, go take that course. Or, Hey, you want to learn Python? Go take this course. Or, Hey, you know, um, you're C plus plus go and take this course. Or, Hey, you want to learn how to hack a network? Go take this course. And it was really like a great thing for me because like I said, when I was younger, I had this like ADD and I had this, you know, um, I was flippant towards the system and really right now being 38 years old, I look back on it and it was really because nobody sat me down and said, Hey, if you learn algebra, you're going to understand how a radio works. Mm -hmm. If you learn trigonometry, you're going to understand how somebody can, you know, geo point where a lost, you know, child's phone is that's been kidnapped um, you need trigonometry to do that. And if someone had said that to me what when I was like... What the hell is trigonometry? Right, exactly. I believe it's an old wooden ship. <laughs> <laughs> so Katoa. <laughs> but was the Indian on that ship. Uh, but um, so when if someone had said that to me when I was like 13, it would have zeroed me right in. Because what I was doing with my own time when I was that age was... I remember we had these like... I don't know if you guys had them, but because I'm older than you guys are, but I'd go home with these like Scholastic. It was called Scholastic, but it was like these really thin paper things and you'd fill out books that you wanted and your mom would put like a check in there and you could get like four or five books. 
I have no idea not. what you're talking okay. about. So we would get. But I was a, I was a big trig guy back in the day. Oh, just well, to let you know. Yeah, well, we talked about that. Did I've we? Never read. I a book. think we did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Huck, not even I've got a there. couple. I've got a couple of good ones for you. Maybe where's Waldo? A couple like, doozies. <clears throat> I've never read a book front to cover. Well, th- we had these Scholastic. They were like flyers that the teachers would send us home with, and then we could order books. And I remember they would always have like toy, not toys, but like things that you could mess with on the last page that weren't books. And I remember I ordered like a, a coiled radio where you could, you know, essentially build a radio out of nothing mm-hmm. with no batteries or anything. And it was just this coil where you're picking up like HF radio signals and those types of things. And then you build like magnets and like yes. electronic magnets and stuff. Yes, Yeah, exactly. I know what you're talking about now. So I ordered a bunch of that stuff. And I remembered I picked up um, what was a Vietnamese radio signal. And I'm not sure even where it was. It could have been from Vietnam, but it could have been from somewhere else. But I remember listening to it and I had built this thing. And it was just this like, you know, little radio kit. And it was, it had astonished me that I was able to do this as like, you know, a 12 year old. And that was the last thing I kind of did in radios and radio frequency and electromagnetic theory until I joined the army. And then when I got into the army, I like Wait, re it like you. Re- well, hold on. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You built a radio out of coils and batteries and hacked like some a, Vietnamese like, was, channel. No, no, no. no it was, I didn't hack the channel. It was just, I just picked up essentially like a long wave, a long wave, um, some, from some nail salon. <laughs> it was probably like an atmospheric bounce or something. But yeah. I believe it was Vietnamese. Atmospheric sure. bounce? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. I was. I believe that's what it was. <laughs> an AB. That's what we used to call it. You guys don't remember those like little radios that you could build? Um, Dude. No, I 100%. I promise you the last thing on my to-do list when I was 12 years old was to build a radio. I know exactly what you're talking about because the... We I used to do the the magnets. I'd take a big ass yeah. nail and wrap a wire it, around it. It was like a, tuning, a battery. It was like a tuning coil crystal yeah. radio. Sure. And so, like when I joined the military, I remember we we learned about crystal controlled radios, and like electrically timed controlled radios, which depends. Like, but you had like a crystal was controlling the radio essentially, and that's what I had built when I was a kid. A crystal. You're yes. three minutes. Expired about yeah, 15 hours. minutes ago. We're talking about <laughs> let me stop, atmospheric let me stop. bounces of but anyway, Vietnamese well, radio. All I wanted to get to was had someone told me that if I had just shut up and listened and learned math, that I could have done all of these things without joining the army, I would have done it. That's but, all you were trying to say in the three minutes? <laughs> no, no. Sorry. <laughs> Fast forward so to many, the climax so, of your career. So the climax, <laughs> the climax is when I retired. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, I got into all these disciplines in the military where I was learning about cyber, you know, ethical hacking, um, uh, sig- signals intelligence operations, human intelligence operations, um, support to combat operations, um, document and media forensics, um, video forensics, uh, all of these things that I just got to go focus on and get left alone as a military officer. And it just, they really just wrote me a blank check to just go learn whatever I wanted. And then go and apply it while I was deployed overseas. So long story short, that, you, you tracked down. It wasn't bin, short. But you yeah. tracked down Bin Laden. And no, you dropped, you dropped no, warheads on, warheads on foreheads. No, not Bin Laden. Neither confirming nor denying tracking down Bin Laden. There is no Bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Bin Laden. I tracked down high value terrorists. I, I absolutely by gathering intel, 
creating yes. AI and machine learning programs to leveraging artificial to, intelligence, machine learning, and figuring and, out where those high value targets are going to be at certain times. Yeah, and then pointing out the door to bigger and badder dudes than I was. To SEALs, Delta Force, but, but, Rangers, to go take down those targets. But on the, the real, on the real, when you boil it down, I'm a big advocate of layman's terms. Yeah, let's do <laughs> big it. Big advocate. <laughs> right. When you boil it down to its simplest, like, almost effect that you had, is yeah. two things. One, it's a white cloth. <laughs> don't, don't get too excited, white fellas. Cloth. <laughs> <laughs> is that the amount of soldiers lives that you have probably saved at least secured like you know helped yeah i i don't know what that number is i don't either. but it's a lot i mean it's and i know that you have also you recently told us last night that you were given an an, an accolade mm-hmm. from the military at your retirement that you were not expecting that is like almost of the utmost like well it was it was much higher than i thought i was going right to get. and to me i'm like that is an acknowledgement, and you're being modest. Of his humbleness. Yes, but it is an acknowledgement of yeah. what you did for our country. And I will take my hat off right now. I'll do it, actually. Hold on. Here we go. Oh, his hat's off, guys. For what that you thing did. Your Why you're rolling. Yeah, for what you did for for us. Well. Um, and on top of that, <laughs> I would also say, like. the. I have a hard time with all of this. I know you do, <laughs> but I would also say, like, the bad you know the terrorists that you were able to help kind of remove uh potentially also saved american civilian lives no telling what was in the works with those people that you were able to help kind of take out so to me it's an honor to like even have the opportunity to work with you and what you've created yeah well i thank you and i thank you for your patriotism there are a lot of people out there that have done a lot more badder and cooler things than i have um, I, I just would like, my thing is like, I'm just pleasured and, and honored to have worked with those guys that did those things. And, um, you know, however I can leverage the little things that I know to help those things out for me, it was like the great honor of my life to be able to do it. So yeah. thanks. So two things, I don't know if we have an agenda here or not, most likely not, but zero, two things that I wanted to touch base on. I think we touch base on your hunting experience here at the end but um this was one of the things i was getting really pissed off about last night that y'all were talking about that i didn't want you to talk about was golden eye well not yes golden eye 100 but first aliens like oh man told me you've hacked intercepted vietnamese you know blah 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 whatever but like (laughs) i didn't hack anything i did not hack anything i want to know your thoughts on aliens and i know that you touched base about this last night and i purposely tuned out because i was like you know what this needs to be talked about on the podcast because i feel like if there's anybody that knows about aliens it might be you uh, yeah i mean first off give me your two cents give me give me your three minutes on aliens <laughs> all right you guys I, I, tune in for the next hour i'm gonna stick to the time hacks from now on I'm going to start a clock right there, now. Isn't there like some, some new stuff that's come out? Yeah, so what like... we talked about last night was we're both Joe Rogan podcast listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike Baker went on there multiple times, talked about aliens. And I did about... not see that one. You so. haven't talked? Yeah, okay. So, and I asked you, what are your thoughts on that? And if, well, I guess the first question was, do you know Mike Baker? No. Through your experience with some, some uh, tri-letter no, agencies that you've worked for? No, I don't know him. Okay. I've heard of him. 
Um, I, I've, I know some of his predecessors, like people that the agency basically says can go out and talk about things. Um, but I don't know him. Uh, and, and I'll also say through my service, I had no tacit knowledge or direct interactions with anything extraterrestrial or UFOs. I was not associated with any of these government programs that did all of this stuff. So let me just say that out the gate. Never worked on area 51. Nope. Um, disappointing. Yeah, I know. But, um, we, yeah, I mean, you know, sustained war. We had other things. We had other fish to fry. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, I will say, I, I should start from the presupposition of if the videos that I've seen are correct, which they seem to be, and I've also gone down this rabbit hole just as I've gone down other rabbit holes. I spent about three months on this rabbit hole right here that we're talking about. And you, you're, you're speaking of the Tic Tac video. The, the Tic Tac video, and there's a few other ones. What is the Tic Tac video? There, this, this, there's this, super cliff. There's this commander Fraber, who was in charge of a uh, uh, a flight, um, you know, airmen that were, or I should say, pilots, and they were off the coast, of, I think San Diego, mm-hmm. and they, you know, two different airframes had witnessed this tic tac shaped object over the water. That, long story short, like skipping all of the cool stuff, but just getting to the the thing that's impossible had gone from, like, right above the water to 60,000 feet in, like, less than a second. I think it was even, I think it was, like, a fraction of a second. They'd gone, like, 60,000 feet. And they got it on video? Yeah, the whole thing's on video. They had, they had it on, like, missile lock or whatever yeah. the term is. Well, they were the trying to get it on missile lock. And like, they, they were about to blow it up. Yeah, well, we have these systems on our yeah, on our airplane. <laughs> like, they have these... That would have been so badass if we'd blown up a spaceship. <laughs> Well, we have these all these Tic-tac things. Tic Tac spaceship. We have all these radars, which I know a lot about, on these airplanes um, that are designed to track and to you know beat jamming and all of those different things. And they couldn't get a lock on this thing, but they had vi- they had a visual lock on it. And there's things, two things to me that struck me as interesting. The first one was they couldn't get a lock on this thing, no matter what radars they were trying to use or how they were trying to establish lock on it, they couldn't do it. And if you understand how radars work, you should be able to establish lock on something that's stationary. That should be fairly straightforward because a radar has a thing that's called like a pulse that it sends out. And these pulses, you can think of them as like sound. And then when the pulses hit like the a object, right, exactly, echo sonar, <laughs> it comes back and then they can tell distance bearing all of those things based on how the pulse has shifted or changed. You can think of like the Doppler effect. They can calculate all of those things and say, this is where this object is and how far it's going. Anyway, all of that was defeated. But then the second thing that was very interesting was this thing was directly above the water, but it had um, uh, no type of exhaust or any manifold that was expelling anything from a heat perspective that would show that it was using anything from like a conventional propulsion um, perspective to show that it was like burning a fuel or doing something to remain above the water. It was just an object on IR, which is infrared, you know, it's sensing temperature. Like we use IR in Afghanistan. Like in I know Iraq, what IR is. I run trail cameras. Yeah, right. Well, in Iraq, you know, they'd be on top of roofs in the, in the middle of the night sleeping because it would be so hot in the summer. So on IR, you could see, you could count how many people, you know, we do these things called GRGs greater reference guides where we'd be like monitoring a house. We're about to, you know, go and knock the front door down. We want to know how many people were there. We'd wait till the night to count how many people were sleeping on the roof. Cause that give you a good indication of how many people were in the house because everyone slept on the roof because it's so hot. Yep. 
So well, these IRs, cameras that these planes were using, these jets were using, um, were not detecting any kind of thermal response. On so these. it wasn't giving off any heat. It was not giving off any heat, which Layman's is terms. Okay, thank crazy you. to me. It's just insane to me. So This is how the conversation started last night, actually, I think. Yeah. Because I brought up Joe and Mike Baker talked about like a power source that was, there was an article posted about it publicly first about like some sort of car sized thing that was generating the amount of power that like a massive nuclear power plant would generate. And then all of a sudden it was put, it was blacklisted. And I guess what Mike Baker was saying was like CIA or the government blacklist certain things that could potentially be like a, like a threat to the public. If the information is twisted and used in ways that it shouldn't be. Yeah. And that was one of the things. Sure. And I was asking if you knew about that and if it was maybe that would explain like some of these, um, I guess, coincidences that have happened. Yeah. And I mean, if, if another foreign government possessed any of that type of technology, uh, my thought is that we would be speaking their language right now. It's like if the Russians yeah. could, you know, exercise that kind of land air dominance in, you know, off the coast of San Diego or wherever that was we would be speaking Russian or we would be learning Russian <laughs> because I'll follow, but I don't want to, in other words, they would yeah. be able to conquer us militarily. Yeah, I get you. Like they would be so advanced over what we can do that. They're going to make us speak Russian. Well, they'd conquer us and then make us speak Russian. Yeah. They'd be like, Hey, we have jets that don't use so fuel speak our language or we'll destroy you. And that speak that move nearly the speed of light. Essentially by the time that they're flying that kind of stuff off of our coast, then it's too late. It's too, we're done. Yeah. We're already speaking. And we're Russian. so, we're so woefully the outmatched. Game. They just yeah. want people to speak Russian. Well, be, <laughs> I'm lost. I don't. They don't I, just. They don't want to just make us speak their language. They, that's what you. Okay. That's the That's the. All I'm saying is they would conquer us. So, fair. Pi let's pivot because you had a different kind of theory. Yes. Yeah, so, anyways, tic tac, <laughs> tic tac video. Great. Uh, alien spaceship. So I, I'm not crazy sure this stuff. is my theory. Give me your theory conclusions. This is not my theory. Um, this is. I think I've heard other people say this theory, but it's a theory that I abide by and, and if i had to and now this is not plausible <laughs> okay so if i had to guess for a, you know if someone said hey for a billion dollars what do you think's going on with these aircraft and now the presupposition is that these air, these videos are real and this aircraft is doing what it looked like it was doing in these videos right so you know it could go to sixty thousand feet in less than a second and it had no um thermal form of propulsion if that is the case my guess would be this is like human beings in like 100,000 years coming back to using UAVs of some sort. I know about UAVs. To come back. Like Call of Duty. Yep, yeah, there you go. To come back and look at us. This That's is leading, this is leading to the, my main question of the podcast. Well, we're going to hold going. that. I know where you're I mean, going. That's, uh, that's as far as I'm going on that. It's just my you guess think, would be. You think, all right, so you think it's human beings from humans. 100,000 years ahead. Or coming, some, a long ways from now, yeah. Coming back to be like, hey, I want to. Just kind of visit this time. Well, here. also, like, hey, this is a tumultuous era. Maybe something really bad happens soon. And they're trying to change it. And they're it. trying to study us or yeah. change it or figure out what how we went awry. Goodness. A.K.A. Divergent series movies, if you haven't watched yeah, them. Yeah, okay, right. Which so I have, also haven't watched, but that's my yeah, thought. Yeah, you need to. What, yeah, what, well. if it's, what if it's like a, you know, what if that's like a Disney ride? In you know, hundred thousand years, you know, it's like time travel back to whatever you want. I like go that to. a lot better. I like that a lot better. But I also think like if you've ever watched Back to the Future, like they could potentially alter the future. Who knows? 
if they change some or sort of... Or do they create a separate timeline? So, all right, but, you know, cutting through the BS, you you think the most logical conclusion... My most logical... Well, my most that, logical concu- conclusion as a... Conclusion. As a scientist and as a Christian. <laughs> totally lost it. everything. Conclusion. <laughs> conclusion. As a scientist and as a Christian is... These are us in the future. See, oh, flying Tic Tacs, probably from, orange flavor. From the Christian perspective, for me, it's like knowing how infinite space is and how infinite our galaxies are. It's it just seems like so plausible to me that there's other Earths out there with other life forms that maybe a hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand years in front of us. Who knows? And you could yeah. be right. Here's what I tend to do, only because. And again, people are going to be like, oh, this guy's crazy. But, oh, well. No, I, I am who I, I am I, I, and deal before, with it. Before you – you're not crazy. I know you as a friend. I just – I think you are a very deep thinker and you think about things that are certainly plausible that are not necessarily like on a normal person's radar Yeah, all I said was if I had thinking. to bet the mortgage. Sure. Like this would be my bet. So when I read the Bible, which I do often, and when I think about it, one of the things that it says in the beginning of the Bible is that Eve is the mother of all living. And so if I take that, right, there's two things I either have to say to myself, right, is, and I'm not saying Eve is, and she is one person and she was in the Garden of Eden and she has all the babies today. That's not what I'm saying. Basically what I'm saying is, is that the original person, you know, that was here and started everything that we're doing here is the mother of everything that's alive or conscious, and if that's the case, then it seems plausible to me that sometime in the future we're all messed up and someone's trying to come back and figure out kind of where we went wrong. And and for me, the multiple worlds thing doesn't work because I've, you know, I've read some authors on this and I've, you know, listened to some stuff and life is like so mathematically implausible Mm -hmm. that it's far more likely to me that it's us in the future than it is someone else out there. If that makes sense. So there's a, one of the, one of the people that kind of inspired my faith was Lee Strobel. And in his book, he talks about like the plausibility of life happening on earth. And one of the, the, uh, I guess analogies he uses is like the odds of a planet forming that is conducive to life existing from just like inert gases floating in nothingness Yeah, is like a tornado going through a junkyard and building a car, building a fully functioning 747 airplane. Right. Right. Flying yeah. off. I mean, that, that thing. that's not, and that's like totally wrong. That's pr- honestly probably an understatement of how, just ridiculous the odds are I think of that happening. I think there's things we see every day that we're used to and kind of numb to that we don't really understand like how freaking re- crazy like this stuff is like the moon above us right now it's it, we can see it but to me it's like hard to actually fathom that that's like you know you could actually it's a place yeah and yeah. I, I saw something that was posted on Instagram like a week ago and it was like some dude some photographer got like the clearest pictures ever of of the sun and being able to actually like look at the details of the sun. I was like, holy shit. It's a, it's just a 
a, a floating fireball in the air. Yeah. That happens to like perfectly yeah. warm the earth. It's insane. And it's just like, what? I mean, to me, perfect like, distance. What are the odds? If like, it's like several miles off of where it is now, yeah. we would all be toast. Oh, yeah. just yeah. If it was several miles the other fireball. direction, we'd all be ice. Yeah. So yeah, and I, actually, you know, related to the sun, that's one of the things that I worry about the most is the uh, the appropriate or proper solar flare mm-hmm. in our entire industrial grid is gone. Like just how electromagnetic pulse works and, you know, electricity, you know. So, yes, I'm just trying to echo that. This is all so absurd that we're here and alive right now and that everything works and that the lights are on. And I think you look at it as, mind. Uh, from the lens of like, oh, well, that's just total coincidence. Or you look at it from a sense of like purpose, like meaningfulness, like, oh, yeah, this is not just randomness. You know, right. there's, there's, this, there's a purpose here. Like there's a creator here kind of thing. So it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. I think there's a very good case for that. Yeah. Anyways, moving on. So yeah, moving on to gold nice. So this this is gonna be so I've been <laughs> waiting to unpack this. this. I've been waiting to unpack this. This is uh definitely gonna be kind of an age um you know, oh, limited type of area. It, this is not gonna be for everybody, but it's gonna be for a bunch of people that are you know, within our age group that played in sixty four. Eighty five so, to ninety three. Oh birth. Okay, yeah, birth. Sorry. So yeah. I would I would take it past ninety three because when I was in college I still played N sixty four Mario Kart. Oh sure, religiously. Yeah, drink, yeah, drinking and driving. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we did make a drinking game out of Mario Kart. I think you played it. I'm oh, sure you played me. with me. Sorry. <laughs> I just Ran- snorted. Sorry. <laughs> Rainbow Road was the <laughs> sorry. <place. clears throat> in fact, I need to get an N sixty four because I would crush either of you right now on oh any of the goodness. roads. The last oh time you said that, goodness. I took you to town. No. Rainbow Road, nobody you, can beat me. You period. came to the White House and no. destroyed you. You know it. Rainbow Road, nobody can take me, especially if I'm dude. Uh, you, are you doing shortcut or no shortcut? I'm taking shortcut. You got to risk it. Jump over the ramp, land on the the ramp. Uh, the we're doing this, anyways. As long as I'm Toad or Peach, nobody's beating me. So Peach was my jam. This may, we may lose some, you know, people tuning in. I here. expect us to. But for those out there that did play N64, there was a game called Goldeneye, and so I, I Drew and I, our friendship, a lot of it probably founded on Goldeneye. Uh, we used to have heated arguments about who was better. I still argue that I'm better. Drew still argues that he is better. Maybe we. Maybe we film a YouTube video of us just playing GoldenEye against each other. I'd watch that. <laughs> the climax of Seek One. <laughs> it's but anyway, be so by the we end. got in. All this I'm saying is stack, argument. stack power weapons, and I get odd job, and you're done. Odd job's wow. not fair. Everybody, well, anybody who so. has played that game, and I get, and I get one player because I'm pretty sure N64 had bias towards the first player. Well, the the first player got the top I half think of the screen. The other <laughs> yeah. two got like on, tiny on, square. You got three corners. people playing. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> Odd job's not fair. He's a tiny target. It's kind of like Conor McGregor at three foot six out there. It's not fair. Jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've seriously you digressed. You just referenced something that we talked about off. We're an hour and 21, one, 21 minutes <laughs> we in and we have got not talking about we have got, to the point of We the have got nothing. <laughs> and if you're hanging on right now, you are a true fan. Yeah. I, you know what? Major props to the people who are still listening. <laughs> 
But anyways, um, that was kind of a heated debate of topic for last night was who was better at N64 or uh, GoldenEye in particular. Bill was a GoldenEye guy and was oh. uh, very into that era. So Yeah, I mean, it, I spent all of my time playing that game. I mean, all I'm saying is stacks, stack power weapons. I'm racing to RCP90 RCP and getting yep. body armor, and you are not getting a damn kill. I will ruin you with proximity mines. I will not Ooh, shoot the you. Proximity yeah, mines were yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, I will. You throw, them, you throw them on the glass, all, shoot the glass, yeah, and just yeah. like all floating in midair. <laughs> oh, I remember the grenade launcher was pretty goat, too. Just shooting it in the fireball, just like. You ever oh. use cheat codes like DK? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Paint, absolutely. Paintball mode. Yeah. Yes. Paintball mode was great. Oh, was I was game. actually, <laughs> I was just brainstorming on this stuff earlier today after our conversation last night, just thinking about the guns, and I was like, okay, so we start out in the stack. Usually, you spawn in like that, like the room with all the glass and those like revolving doors. But you sprint, you're sprinting to the RCP-90. Speed run is the term. But what you do is you pick up the clob on the on the lower level. Clob is solid. Or if you're feeling a little bit crazy, you open the secret door, you get the Cougar Magnum in your pocket, which is like a one-shot kill. Yep. Or maybe two-shot kill. And then you run up the... No, the, the, gold, the Golden Gun was one shot. The uh, I think the Cougar was maybe a couple. Probably, probably two. Yeah. Good you, gun, though. You Good run up though. the ramp. Pass the KF-7 so Soviet, because KF-7 Soviet, we all know, is pretty garbage. Trash. Open the, the secret door, body armor, RCP-90, and it's game over, pretty much. Yeah. You know what I would kind of like to do? Um, and I don't know if this is possible, but I think it'd be pretty hilarious, is if we went to, like, a NWTF or, like, a show, or just, like, the opportunity to to play with people that, like, follow along with our videos or this podcast and just ha- just host, like, a... Mario Kart tournament on this. I feel like it would in the get middle so of hunting, heated, dude. Hunting trade show I where everyone's like, like, "Damn it, these guys I are taking like all the it attention." Would, <laughs> it would be massive crowd. I feel like <laughs> it would get so heated, and people would love it. But uh, moving on, so I think I would be curious to hear what your opinion because this is your first time in town suburban hunting. Yeah, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Way You're, more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Really? Yep. How so? Um, I don't know. You guys ought not to take this in offense, but I thought, like, you know, constricted, there would be, you know, smaller tracts of land, less areas that the deer could move with cover, inevitably means it would be easier to target them. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, like, traditionally, like, my serious bow hunting years have been spent in the big woods. And I've been relatively successful in the big woods. Um, you know, in the past, I don't know, 11 or 12 years, I've got six or seven, you know, 140 plus deer. Yeah. And to me, unless you're like, you know, a psycho that spends all of your time hunting, which is awesome. And I applaud you. Um, it's difficult to get that caliber of deer on the ground in the big woods situations. Right. Like basically, I think if you're like a really good big woods hunter, you're putting one de- one really big deer down every two years. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like that's kind of how I hold myself accountable. Is like I expect to be putting down a 140 or a 150 every two years, and if I'm not, then maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'm not scouting enough, whatever. So when I examine like the 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 urban situation, my initial thought is there's less cover. The deer are more used to humans, and 
therefore that should just make this situation easier. And so I think in one respect, it is easier in that you will see a ton more like in the past two days, I've seen way more deer than I ever expected I would see, but they're all does and like young buck, like a couple of young bucks and stuff. Like for instance, I I'll say this, Lee is a deer magnet. And what do I mean by that? <laughs> what I mean by that is I hunted with him in North Dakota. He's like surrounded by, you know, 150 inch deer. And, uh, in two days out there, he almost gets it done. And, you know, people hunt their whole lives in North Dakota and don't see the deer that he saw out there. But then we come to, <laughs> we go to Pennsylvania for the veterans hunt and we just go to town and buy whiskey. We're going to town and buy whiskey. That's like 165 inch deer. It's huge deer. Peaks his head over the bridge. And honestly, it looks like somebody's holding up like taxidermy. It looks fake. Did it fake. not look like I mean, somebody? Yeah. yeah, it looked fake. It I mean, looked it's... like somebody was grabbing like a mounted deer and just holding it over the bridge. It was a 160 inch deer all day. Yeah, well, it was because it got hit like like five days yeah. later. Johnny... Johnny went and saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. show you a picture of it. Yeah, it's there's huge. A picture. It's great deer. And it was the same deer, and I recognized it. And then, and then Lee is showing me the area where he's like, hey, I think there might be deer in here. I'm not sure. Like, I've seen a good buck in here in the past. And, you know, sit up here, and this is what we'll do. And so we get in there the first day, and we're just putting up a stand for me to come back later in the day. I'd just flown in. <laughs> and, he's, and we're hanging this stand, and I'm sitting there at the bottom of the tree, and I'm like, I wonder how often in these types of situations, <laughs> you know, Lee sees a big deer or like a big deer walks up and he's sitting there because I'm very much used to like the, the big woods thing where I hang my set when I get to the tree. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whereas here, I understand why you guys don't do that because these deer seem to bed in a lot more areas where they're looking directly at where they're vulnerable or where they might be the big deer, or looking at where they're vulnerable, or where the access is. Like, they seem to be akin to that in a way that bigger woods deer are not as much akin to that. At any rate, we're, we're hanging a stand for an afternoon set, and like a six-point buck walks up, and is just staring at us. For, I don't know, 50, what felt like 30 seconds at least, right? Mm-hmm. And doesn't not quite sure if we're like does or what we're doing or you know what what's going on. He didn't know what was going on, but you could tell he had a a, a whiff of estrus. Yeah, in there the was air. an estrus deer somewhere near him because the we had walked in and there was a scrape that looked like it had it just, had been, just hit. been hit. And and so we're, yeah, we're sitting there kind of quiet. Like I'm up in the tree, Bill standing at the base, and this deer just comes like running through and staring at us, like was like wool and just like stares at us for a second and then just like goes back to estrus immediately like puts his nose to the ground yeah. nose to the ground and just like and keeps working nose to the ground took off back towards like trying to find clearly this hot dough in that area yeah and, and and well one of the reasons i was excited about coming out here is i don't often see on the spartan forge app where you have more than maybe two or three days where it's full range mm -hmm. like it's very rare where you see like four or five days of full range movement. And the app was saying that. And I was like, oh man, I hope this thing is right. Like, 
because I'm going out here for this and I'm going to be actually seeing it. I'll be in the middle of it. Did me killing a bug kind of help you? Yeah. <laughs> help I was just saying, was about to say, and then Drew slays this the monster day of the full on range. the first day of the yeah. full range at like 9 a.m. or 9.30 a.m. Yeah, not like or 8.30, Nana a.m. Yeah. And then, and then Lee is sending me all these pictures of these daylight bucks. And he's like, hey, you know, it's on out here. There's, there's deer moving everywhere. There's deer chasing right now. Yeah. Sure. And, it's a secondary well, rut. This coming. morning when we were driving in to the spot where I was sitting this morning, we saw a small buck chasing across the road, like right in front of us, and got into a yard behind us. And we stopped the truck and looked at him, and he was just nose to the ground, like searching everywhere. And then when I get into the stand this morning, at like 8.30, a buck's chasing a doe. And then all of the doe that I saw... We're all like on pins and needles. Like they were like, if a squirrel made a noise, they were all looking like they've been getting molested, like just like bothered Mm -hmm. and not being left alone. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, so I guess the, the biggest thing for me was in these situations, I feel like you see more deer. This is just my, like, you know, three days of hunting here. Like yesterday I had, was it yesterday or the day before? I think I had like something like 13 deer or something that I saw. And at one point I had like nine deer below me Mm -hmm. and none of them were like, you know, deer you'd want to shoot or whatever. But then as soon as I got out of there, there's a mature buck walking in, Mm -hmm. you know, later. And it's like, obviously he's got my number. The great question is, did he is, know you were is there? it a coincidence that he came in after you left? Who knows? Or is it, or just, did he just Because the morning we hung those stands... I'm on Drew, I'm on Lee's camera, and we left. And what was it like? Ten or fifteen minutes. An later? hour later, he came walking through. Oh, was it that long? Was it an hour? Eh, I mean, forty-five minutes. Yeah, and, and then there's a, a massive ten-pointer walking through. Experience would tell Lee and I that that is not coincidence whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, and I I tend to agree with you. Yep. So, my 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 right now, and this could change obviously because I I try not to hold anything. You know, everything. Nothing is static. Everything is dynamic. And so right where I'm at right now, I would say, I would say generally you're, if you want to just kill a deer and get meat in the freezer, mm-hmm. your odds are probably greater in a place like this. Sure. But I think if you want to kill it like a trophy, your odds might actually be a little less Yeah. than some places where I've hunted, especially like maybe like the Midwest. It might even be even with something like the Northeast. Like in the Midwest, I feel maybe it's because I grew up there. But if you said, hey, Bill Thompson, you need to kill a deer that's 140 inches or more, or you're going to be executed by the end of the year. Put me in North Dakota right now. So, yeah, I would I would definitely agree with you. Because like, when you're getting into urban areas, like your deer densities are getting higher. There's there's not enough hunting. There's not enough management that's happening. And when you're targeting a specific animal that's five and a half or older, those animals, first off, are really hard to find. But second off, their behavior is totally different than a young buck, something like that. And they're just so more finely in tune with their environment. Their behavior that's just in their DNA is that there's a distinct change as they mature, that they become more nocturnal. They become way more cognizant of their movements, what's happening. They're just in tune to survival. Yeah. They're just in tune with their environment because where we're sitting right now, I have maybe, I don't know, 10 total acres back behind my house pretty thick bedding area and if there's a a mature buck living in that area if i go walk 15 yards back in there and start cutting stuff down or just turning leaves over that buck knows that something's different 
Right. If that buck is on a hundred, like a thousand acres on public land somewhere, yeah, it may not be that in tune with its environment. Maybe it is with like its little core area, like bedroom area, where it spends ninety. But here it's like they yeah. have to be that in tune because if not, they're going to get whacked. Right. There's plenty of hunting pressure here. There's plenty of other disturbances, dogs, cars, whatever else that could yeah. kill these deer. Well, just like in a couple of days, he'll Lee and I will be driving around, and I think it's another thing that's, and I'm not trying to, you know, wax you guys, but another thing that's really impressive is, like, Lee's like, oh, there's an illegal camera there, mm-hmm. or, like, we're driving by here, this camera shouldn't be here, or, like, this guy's, I think this guy from this house, like, the other morning when we went to that place that was kind of, like, on the, like, it was, like, a knob or something, you're like, oh, there's a camera over here, but I don't think that guy actually hunts here. I think he just put well, the camera here. It's, it's on my property that I have. Yeah, right, exactly. But Which, I just, honestly just don't feel like even going down that rabbit hole. Like, I just don't, yeah, yeah, I just don't care. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm never going to take, ever going to take the stance of, like, this is harder, hunting public's harder, hunting urban's harder, hunting it's all a subjective. thousand acre farms harder over food plots whether you're using a rifle, a bow, crawl, like I literally don't give a rat's ass about how your hunting style is. As long as you're hunting, as long as you're doing it legally, as long as you're doing it ethically, ethically, and as long as it means something to you, I do not care Yeah. about, you know, doing this, doing that. Like, I feel like there's so much criticism about, ooh, this, that, this, that, this, that. And like, I think that, you know, if you're a new kid that's getting into hunting, you do something, you have someone jump and you put yourself out there, picture whatever, you know, whatever it is, someone jumps all over you, like, it kind of takes away, like, I don't want to hunt anymore. Like, I feel like yeah, people are so vulnerable these days that, especially when you have, like, a younger demographic getting into it, um, you know, criticism like that of, like, down, you know, bashing their style because they this kid used a crossbow instead of a compound bow or like whatever it is like i don't i really don't care i think the main thing is like that kid's out hunting it means something to him he's in he's involved in hunting he's involved in the community of it that's the win not exactly how he took that like there's always there's thousand different styles of hunting and i i want to celebrate all of them so whether it's, you know, I do think there are misconceptions about urban because as you've seen, like once you dive into these places, there's so much ground for these deer to cover. I mean, it, you look at it on a map, but you really don't understand how much ground is in there until you dive into it and you're like, holy crap, like right. this finger goes into this block and I totally see how these deer move into this, that, and the other. And these deer, and to your studies of deer collar data stuff like that like i would love to somehow do that in an urban environment because yeah I need these to get deer go for miles i need i don't have you know i have data where it's semi-urban but nothing urban like what we've been hunting yeah where it's like you know I'm, i can see 12 houses yeah from my stand um i don't have that kind of data i definitely want to see what that's like but uh, you know I, i've so i've spent I, I i got pretty good at like midwestern hunting like egg farm type of hunting egg egg agriculture are you saying ag or are you saying egg egg agriculture um i got really good at th- not really good I-, I was moderately successful took some big bucks doing that type of thing 
that's kind of where I cut my teeth and learned how to hunt. And then I went out to the East Coast in like Maryland, mountain country, swamps. And I got my butt kicked for like the first two years. And then I got pretty good at that as well, where I harvested some, you know, in the last five years, some pretty good, for a point there, I was like four for four on years of killing deer over 140 and got pretty successful at that. And then, so so I feel like I have a good like cross section of the Midwest, the Northeast, and now kind of seeing some of the Southeast, although I want to spend more time here. The only real place I really haven't spent a lot of time hunting where I feel like I want to do it just to say I've done it or see how how well I can do would be like the Florida, like Everglades or like that. I want to do that really bad. It's crazy how different. I kind of want to get down there and do that, but the thing I was thinking to myself today, because I was thinking a lot in the tree stand today, just about stuff we've been talking about and like business stuff we've been talking about, but also like hunting and what makes things different. I spent a lot of time in the tree stand thinking about myself today. And the thought I had was, I'm not sure any of it's easier than any of it of any else. Like all of it kind of comes with its challenges and all of them Mm -hmm. are different. There might be phases of the season where certain things are easier. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely think the best time to hunt mountain bucks, like Pennsylvania where I, you know, and Western Maryland where I cut my teeth for years is definitely the rut. Like early season, it's either you're on them or you're not. And most times you're not on them. See, I would say the rut is honestly pretty challenging in an ur- urban environment. Yeah, for sure. They're just so Unless unpredictable. Unless you're looking to just get lucky. Yeah, and so in 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 like I'm mountain buck lucky. country, I would say that's where you've got the most choices, yeah. the most chances, because there are so many you're, fingers, such and a there's big so many territory. places. Yeah. But what they have to do is because they're spread out, the does are spread out, and therefore they have to travel. And if you can find out where they're traveling. Or just kind of find out like topographically how they're going to cut some corners, then you can see some deer in a day, and you can be successful. Whereas I can see how here that would be an impossibility. Mm-hmm. It could become very difficult very quick because they don't have to abide by all the rules that they have to do in big deer country. But to me, it seems like kind of like North Dakota. If I had to kill, a, if you said, "Hey, Bill, you need to kill like a massive deer," and you like you get to pick your time of year and your method. I would say, and people aren't going to like this and it's not going to sound romantic or awesome or anything like that, but it's going to be the truth because it's the only thing I'm going to speak is I would say late season North Dakota over corn. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was like, you have to kill a big buck. You have to kill a big buck, Bill. Like your life depends on it. What are you going to do? I would say the same thing. I would say, give me a pile of corn in in agriculture country in like the Red River Valley of North Dakota and I'll get you 150 160 inch deer because mm-hmm. they're going to find it I would say very very early season first two weeks of the season here yeah and that's so interesting you pattern them on protein or you pattern them on a food so- early season food source like kudzu or acorns or something like that yeah and you pray to god that like your buck that you're trying to kill does not change its pattern. So it sounds to me like we have a good heuristic here. Or late season, late season meaning after January 15th, January 15th to January 31st, you get them on corn when their guard's down and they, they're they relying on that corn. Right. And they start daylighting. Yeah. Because they have, they have no other yeah. option. Yes, corn, but also like you have to find them in their... 
yeah. in their cover. Like yeah. you got to be in the right place. The corn has to be in the place yeah, you where everything else is perfect. Place. Yeah. yeah, they have to be there, and, and that's right. like privet. They live in privet late season, and they I mean, need- that a dude that is like the biggest thing for them. It it's they just they it's a massive food source for them, but it's also all the cover they ever need. There's privet all in the place that we're hunting. Like all the places where, where I just killed my buck was privet. straight privet. And that deer like, has not been in there in the last three months. He just showed up. Just like showed up. We we actually got a comment, and so here's here's an, an, a a podcast idea I want to do is I want to start screenshotting. I've already screenshotted a couple comments that would spark some debate, uh, maybe some some hater comments if you want to call it that. Um, like we've been accused of helicoptering in deer from Texas. Dude, like there was just a comment on true. that. There was just a comment on oh, that video that you now. had. Yeah. There that was, was a, I don't know that if was it was a, was it a joke. It was a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a joke thing now. Cause, Cause I, but I read it and I was like, wait, what? Cause what? I screenshotted one and posted it on our Instagram and it's like, um, it, un, it's unbelievable that people actually believe like this dude genuinely believed that we were helicoptering in deer from high fences in Ohio or Texas or like wherever. So much so that back into people Atlanta. called the game wardens and yeah. reported that that's what we were doing. So I think I think <laughs> we unpack that in a whole different podcast. I think that'd be a really good post- podcast to do. That'd be great. Screenshot comments like that and just start reading, like read the comments, address them, kind of go through all that. That's a whole different podcast in and of itself, but I have no idea where I was going with that. What was I talking about? Bill looks like he's in turf. Oh, anyway, so oh, good, thank uh, God. <laughs> pri- like privet late season. Yeah, and if I just you, learned about dude. Privet. If you find the privet, man, it's it like these late season honey holes are paying off there for it us. Is. Yeah, and it's like so there. There's a big transition right now from that these deer are going through where they're transitioning into these privet areas. And if you find privet and all this cover, like there is going to be deer in there. I promise you. So, that's to to your point of like you know your highest odds of killing a buck yeah the last couple of weeks of the season here in privet overfeed is is one of the best times yeah, yeah sure. i mean knowing what i know now about deer which i've hunted deer in a bunch of places i've been moderately successful in a couple here's how i do my season i do like august 31st to september 15th in north dakota i would do september 15th to like november 1st in south the southeast here. And then I do November 1st to probably December 1st in Pennsylvania. And then I do December 1st, January 31st back down here. Yeah. Like that would be my I think next year I'm going to try to do it that way. Mhm. Because you, you can really get on some really good early season velvet bucks in North Dakota when they're uh, yeah, I had 100 100- 50, 60-inch eight-pointer in front of me right, this exactly. season. And I would have loved to have given that deer the beans, but he smelled me. Yeah. World, wins world on me. I, I just showed my buddy of that video the other night. Oh, like, my gosh. That deer is so big. Oh, it's great. But anyways, we got one more hunt for you tomorrow. Yep. Um, I'm going. Oh, my God. Yeah. God. <laughs> A log you just got. Just exploded. In sniped. And I hope they hear that. And, uh, <laughs> it just like went straight for Drew's crotch. <clears throat> right on his beans. <laughs> right on the beans. <laughs> Give me the beans. <laughs> so you got one more hunt tomorrow. Yeah, I'm definitely going to kill a deer tomorrow morning. Yeah. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to pay this 200 and some bucks for an, uh, a license out here and not have some back straps. Yeah. Can I put, can we, so if I kill a deer at like 10 tomorrow, 
Can we throw some back straps in a cooler and I can fly back with them? Or I don't know. It? Yeah, I think so. Can we do that? I don't that? know. Why not? Okay, just making sure. Otherwise, we'll just freeze them. I'll eat yep. them when I come back later this year. Well, hopefully that buck. Or if we meet up for our Spartan Forge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hopefully know. that buck makes a mistake tomorrow. But if not, if not, definitely give a doe the beans. I, I, I'm 60% sure that he has me pegged. That's, potentially. So that, that's, potentially. that's it right there for the urban hunting thing. Like the deer that I've, I've been hunting since November on one of these spots. Thank you, Lee, for putting me on the deer. You're welcome, brother. And thank you, Lee, for putting me on the deer. <laughs> you also welcome, brother. Mm. The deer showed up. We have up. to talk about the bet after this. <laughs> <laughs> we can't tell them what was bet. But we'll, we can give them, we'll close this podcast with the bet. Yeah, but we can give them a, you know, gravity. So this is like a perfect picture, painting a perfect picture of the urban hunting scene for mature bucks. I've had a camera out at one of these spots for the last two months. The deer was in there like early, all summer up until probably second, third week of September. Completely disappeared. Finally came back about two weeks ago and I hunted him one time. And then I had to go out of town for just the weekend, two days, two and a half days. The deer daylighted five times while I was gone. In three days, right? In three days. Oh. Like, not even close to, like, dawn and dusk. Just, like, 9.30, 4.30, just, like, super just, like, in your face. Hey, I'm over here. I know <laughs> and you're I know out, you're I not. I know you're out of town. I know you're <laughs> not know here. You're... <clears throat> so, as soon as I get back in town, I go... I already had my stand set up, go in there, start hunting him. And this spot is, it's essentially like a really tall, long hill leading up to a hardwood, hardwood ridge. And I hunt the deer one time and then I never, never see the deer on camera again. It's been two, two and a half weeks, I think, since he was in there in daylight or in there at all. Honestly, he's not come back once, but we have a buddy that has a spot one street across. Literally right across this neighborhood road, 300 yards, I can see his feeder from my stand. And that deer is showing up over there like at night. He actually showed up this morning at like 7.30. But... Oh my. Th- that is just like proof that these deer, these older deer bed in spots that they can see your access. And it may have been one experience where he caught you. I guarantee you the very first time I went in there, he had been daylighting. He was. He knew the feed was in there. He was bedding within sight of the feed, but far enough away to where if he saw me and left, I would not see him leave. So he was up on top of the ridge, saw me walk in around this house, which is the only way I can go in because the spot's only two acres. And he probably saw me, eased off off the top of the ridge to where I couldn't even see him. And now he's just never coming in because he's... You, he's you just know, like logged that. He knows his compromises, and now he's just going over to the other spot. He's like, "Yeah, that guy's tagged out. I know, because <laughs> not, he's obviously not in there anymore." I more of the story is like, never underestimate the intelligence of these animals. Yeah, especially in it's order here. Un- it's unreal. Yeah, it's beyond what you could dream up that these animals could think and understand and observe. And that's where so much of my respect comes from for them. Like, if it was easy, it, yeah. it would just be another thing. And like everyone would just, do it. The, the emotion wouldn't be there. It just, you know, it just would be like, but it's that challenge of, like, your opponent is a worthy adversary. And once it happens, like, my personally, my reactions when I kill a deer, like, 
I look like an idiot a lot of the time. And it's just because my emotions pour out in that, that just moment after it happens, because there's so much that's been poured into that to have it happen. Like it all comes out. And if it were not a challenge, if it were just like easy, it wouldn't be that way. Like I, I mean, none of us would have that burning passion to hunt this way if it was easy. Like mm-hmm. it just would get boring at some point where I just don't care anymore. But it's always a challenge, and it's that challenge that's so addicting of like figuring that animal out, outsmarting him, beating him. That is just like that driving force, that addiction behind all of it. And that's to me like my burning passion about it is like figuring out each animal because they're all unique. They're all individual. They're all very different. They've come from different environments. They've had different life experiences and like finding out what he's doing, how to approach it and be successful at it, hopefully, is like the addiction personally that that I have and I know that we have for like chasing these animals in this environment. And I know that if I was born in North Dakota, my passion would be the exact same as it would be out there. I'd be chasing deer in that environment out there, but we happen to be born here. And so we were kind of maximizing the cards we were dealt. So, um, yeah, I think that what I don't even know how long we're into this. I we think got into deer in a lot though. of directions. We did so happy that we we got did into go deer. into deer at some point. Let's get into the app. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that we close touching base on the app because you are what I would refer to, and I think many people are starting to refer to you as like the Elon Musk of deer. <laughs> I, think I it's don't a know very about all that. Fair metaphor or analogy. Yeah, I like nickname. to think that I'm Elon Musking deer. <laughs> He's become like you know a, it's a verb. Um, but our like this was our first year trying out your app, and. I think something that's really important to Drew and I is that we have never jumped into bed with like a sponsor or a company to work with a partnership that was not fully vetted by us. Like we would never have a partnership with a company that was not natural for us. That didn't make sense. That was not something we fully believed in that we were like, we've, we've never chased dollars from sponsors. It's like, Hey, this is who we want to work with. Let's let's try and make that work because this is what we believe in. We're not going to fake, oh, this is the best trail camera out there because they're paying us the best dollar amount. In fact, there was a, a trail camera company this past summer that threw a very significant amount of dollars at us, but we didn't like their trail cameras, and so we didn't take the deal, and we are still trail camera sponsorless right now, and we're using yep. all these trail cameras to be like, figure out exactly which one we want to use. My point in saying that is that like, we getting, you know, getting involved with you, like we put your app to the test this year hard. And I'm not saying this as like, a, am just trying to, you know, uh, be nice to you or like, which you, know, you don't need to be. No, I don't like, I'm, <laughs> we're at that type of relationship yep, where I'll we're, give you a hard there. time, but like what you've built really works. Like it's, it's truly, truly is effective. And the deer I killed Sig this year. I knew exactly where his core area was and your predictions that you built from this GPS collared deer data was accurate. And that when it was a core area prediction, I was seeing him in his core area. And when it was transition or full range, I was seeing him in these other places where he was kind of his rut range is what I would call it. So 
Yeah, like sixty percent of our data is from the southeast. Right. And and it's just and again, I I don't know if I said it to you guys or who I said it to. Maybe it was another southeast podcast. But I will say dealing with academics from the southeast is by and large a far more enjoyable experience than dealing with academics anywhere else in the US. Really? Oh, but, but like by a long shot. Like we're the guys dumb? from like no, no hell no. The dude from like from cuz I graduated from Alabama, which in the south is like Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um no, from 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 Texas to Oklahoma to Auburn to Florida to North Carolina, South Carolina, um Tennessee, all of the academics I've dealt in those areas where I've gotten deer data from them, it's been like, yeah, no problem. Like, do it. Go for it. Like, you want to mess with our data? You know, we used it for what we needed it for. We got it by taxpayer money. Like, go for it. Whereas when I'm trying to deal with, like, Minnesota or I'm dealing with Ohio, they look at that data, and, and I understand why, but they look at it as more like a commodity mm-hmm. because up in Minnesota and Ohio – and Illinois, people go there as like a destination deer hunting place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and not knowing that there are 200-inch deer down here, really, which was a bit of like an awakening for me. Because mm-hmm. if you would have asked me like five years ago, are there 220-inch deer, you know, running around the suburbs of Atlanta, I'd be like, no. Yeah. It's dumb. No. They got to be in corn country. They need mm-hmm. to be in a cornfield somewhere in southern Illinois or northeastern North Dakota. Up there, they look at it much more as a commodity that needs to be protected. And they're a lot less apt to share it yeah. with people. But I think that's what's cool about what you built is that it is very <clears throat> area specific in that, like, <clears throat> if I'm hunting Georgia, it's giving me information based yeah, off of georgia, georgia deer, deer. yeah if do. i'm hunting pennsylvania it's giving me information Tons based of off of pennsylvania deer, deer. Yep. Uh, so it's very area specific which i think is very cool and unique as opposed to you know, just kind of other stuff and they're yeah, that, very different types of animals 100 like what gets a deer on its feet in pennsylvania is not what gets a deer on its feet in freaking south georgia yeah. it's just like or north georgia it's just two different things yeah, yeah. it couldn't be more different that, that's Honestly, a perfect segue into the question, the main question I wanted to ask you in this podcast, and it kind of calls out like the competition a little bit, which is something that maybe you want to skirt around a little bit, but at the same time, like you have to hit it head on because it's what makes Spartan Forge different. Yeah, is what is like what is different about your prediction versus a Huntwise or an Onyx or a Deercast prediction, like? Why is the the AI, the GPS color deer data different than like a human observation data model? Yeah. Different. That's a good question. I mean, mainly it, it, it would be like, let me, th- I should have thought about this before he asked the question, like, so I could have a proper analogy because I'm cooking up one in my head right now as I buy time with talking. Um, <laughs> repeat the question multiple yeah, times. Yeah, repeat the question. No, but... Uh, I guess the best way to think about it would be if I were trying to under, I just thought of it. So here we go. If I were trying to think about, say, say I live with Lee and I'm trying to understand how Lee, sorry, right. I'm trying to understand how Lee, so honored. (laughs) 
trying to understand how le- I've been living with him for the past three days. My house is like a frat house. It's awesome. People come and go, and it's just here. Here's I never know who's there. Houses. He's got a TV up above his fireplace, <laughs> and then you sit at the couch. You have a TV six inches in front of your face. <laughs> what's, what's like your duty. What's your gamer tag? I can't say that. Yeah. So, anyway. Mildly inappropriate. Say say you live say you live with Lee, and you want to find out what gets Lee covering more because what the app's doing is, it's predicting when deer are covering more ground and then specifically during daylight hours. Okay. So now let's let's just let's just take deer away and let's just try to make this about human the human experience so that everyone who's listening can understand. Say I wanted to understand what makes Lee travel more during the day than he normally would. If I already use like a user observation model, which is like what like a deer cast or what a hunt wise, like they are they are coming up with these user expert models based on what they're seeing in the field. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I were to do that, I would say, okay, well, I'm going to come up with a Lee model of what makes Lee move most, mm-hmm. and I'm going to base it on what I'm seeing inside of his house. That is a cross section of time. Okay. And then I'm going to base my whole Lee model on what's happening in the house. Okay. And that's like a hunter thing. I'm going to base my deer model based on what I'm seeing when I'm hunting during daylight hours or I'm hunting from six to nine or 10 AM and then from two to 5 PM. And mind you, while I'm hunting, I'm looking at my phone. I'm not looking in the right area. You're also potentially altering deer movement by your sense. Yes. All of that. I'm 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 not seeing behind the leaves when the leaves haven't fallen. There mm-hmm. could be deer back there moving. They could be making scrapes where I don't see them. I'm on a stand. Like I've got, you know, three hundred and twenty degrees of field of view for forty yards if I'm in the right area. And who knows what's happening at sixty yards? Who knows what's happening at the field over? Who knows what's happening at the creek behind me? Nobody knows. And, and it's kind of like that same thing. It's like I'm in the house with Lee and I'm trying to build a Lee model based on just being in the house. Well, what happens when he leaves the house? What happens when he goes to like meet his girlfriend? What happens when he goes to the club? What happens when he goes to the gym? What happens when he goes to school? Or to the club. To the club. <laughs> Did I just sound like an old man there? Kind of. Yeah, it's a really old man to say, thing to say. But anyway, um, I'm using observational data based on like my small set in time. Well, how would we get rid of that? How would we get, remove that bias, that visual bias data, that small sector of data? I would put a GPS sensor on Lee. Mm-hmm. And then I would and, actually... Kind of to the point of like human observation. If I knew you were sitting there watching me, I would probably alter what I was doing. Right, exactly. Precisely. Same if somebody's, you know, in a, in a tree stand watching and deer. Not only that, alter but deer. It's now, now you have to question, it's like, okay, how does Lee move in South Georgia or North Georgia versus Pennsylvania? How is he used to 29 degrees up there all day long where it's minus 15 maybe in the morning and it's 29 for the high versus down here where it's, you know, 60 for the high and 29 in the morning? How is that going to affect him? Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm only down here with him, I only know what it's like down here with him. Yeah. So if I'm, you know, these guys developing these models based on, user visual input i've only got it for that part of the country yeah and the gps data from collaring these deer and and, and following them all the time shows that it's they they might as i've said it before and i'll say it again it's it's kind of frustrating for people but it's the truth 
they might as well be different species of animals. Yeah. Like what a deer does in North Dakota versus Pennsylvania versus Georgia. If you were to just measure what they do in relation to the temperature and the moon phase and the time of year and proximity to the rut and totally cloud different. cover, it's not a, it's not even close to the same. So what you're saying is if I had a bunch of farms in Iowa and Ohio and Illinois and I made these inferences on these deer based on certain weather conditions yeah. and tried to apply them across the entire country. Yeah, it, it would be like saying, I want to understand the rhinoceros. Okay. Well, there's two. Do you want the guy who's going to go put a GPS collar on a rhinoceros in Africa, or do you want to see the guy who's going to go observe him in the zoo? Mm-hmm. Who are you going to learn more from? Yeah. Obviously, the guy out in Africa that's collaring them and letting them run around unencumbered all year long versus the guy who's just looking at them in the zoo. Yeah. And 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 it's just the thing about the zoo is it doesn't translate. The pressure is different. It's, 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 it's. So these last, these last few, or I guess last week, um, it said full range pretty much Mm -hmm. across the board. What conditions are playing into that, that you think are causing these year to be full range? I mean, a multitude of conditions. I think one of them would be the wind's been very variable. Like when we've been getting up in the morning, we've been dealing with like a north to northeast wind. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the day, it's a south to southwest wind. And I'm kind of letting a secret out the door right now. But when you're talking about targeting mature animals, one of the best predictors for mature animal movement throughout the day is wind variability. Does that play into the the amount of range they have or the, the normal? They have to shift. The normal versus abnormal pattern of their... Um, well, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily... I'm not a neural network, so I can't talk about the pattern piece. What I can do is talk about how it affects the amount of ground they literally travel in the day. Uh-huh. And what I can say is the more degrees of wind shift you have throughout the day, the more movement you're going to see throughout the day. Because the smart buck, the 170-inch mm. deer that you guys are you know, targeting out here, or even 200-inch deer that you guys are traveling out here, tracking out here, I'm sorry, um, are using that wind to their advantage. Yeah. They, They're when moving they get, with the when wind. That wind moves from an east to a southeast or from a southeast to a northwest. They are not going to stay. Yeah. Where that, if the, if they are betting in the morning and they're getting a southeast wind, they don't have a forecast. They're betting for that southeast wind. If it starts to adjust to like a northwest wind, it is ubiquitous. And what, I shouldn't say that word. It's. I'm glad, all, I'm glad you said you shouldn't say that word because I don't know what that means. Across <laughs> all mature deer, it is it is solid. The data is solid. I do understand solid. When, <laughs> when, if uh, a mature deer, whether he's on a point in Pennsylvania, a field in North Dakota, or the backyard in Atlanta, when it's a 160-inch, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old deer, when the wind is shifting from a southeast at 6 a.m. to a northwest at 4 p.m., he is going to move every time that wind shifts. Mm-hmm. He will never not bed in an area where the wind does not serve him. They're working. Yeah. So they're, they're getting, putting themselves in a better position yes, based on the wind. to observe. And so when you have these accurate, these weather prediction systems like these other ones that we talked about, they'll be like, oh, pressure's rising and temperature's dropping. There's going to be movement. No, not if it's a north wind all day. Because mm-hmm. they know where they needed to bed for that north wind. 
And unless there's a hot doe that comes by them that drags them along or makes them move because there's a doe, they have zero reason to move during that north wind when it's cold because they've already been aggregating the fat all year long. It's not until like the fourth, fifth, or sixth day of that unseasonably cold weather that they will start moving and feeding during daylight hours because they have been aggregating and consuming enough fat stores to keep them across the board with GPS data on on collared deer. The first two or three days of like extremely cold weather is spent on the belly. They will try to wait it out Mm -hmm. because they've been gathering fat all year long. So like if it's out here in like Georgia and, and I see this throughout the Southeast, when it's like six, high 60, high 60, low 40, high 60, low 40, high 60, low 40. And then you get a day where it's like high 38, mm-hmm. low 21, zero movement for bucks really? on that first day. Almost nothing for mature bucks. Because all they'll do is say, this isn't normal. I don't like this. I'm not used to this. Yeah. I've got fat. I'm going to wait a day. Yeah. And then... Nine times out of 10, the next day, it's back to 60 and 40 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So for them, that's chaos and they don't want to deal with it. They'd just rather wait it out on their stomach. But then when you start getting into the third, fourth day of that cold front, then you'll see just like a freaking tick of movement. Because now it's like, oh, I'm getting short on Which is kind of what we're dealing with now because it's been warm. Right. And now this whole week has been colder. There's been a hard shift of that. Yeah. Where it's consistent cold days in a row. I mean, we're sitting around a campfire right now. I don't, it's got to be 40 degrees. I'm in Crocs. I'm cold in shorts. <laughs> but I don't know. I it, Like seeing that data, you having access to that data, like, and, and it goes back to the conversation we're having, we had earlier, like being a sponge. I'm picking up things you're talking about now. I'm learning from what you're talking about because you have dug into this data. Yeah. And I'm trying to soak it up. Yeah. And what you've created with the app basically hands that information over on a platter. Yeah. And when I see that in the data, people will be like, I, I've had messages where it's like, I don't get it. Tomorrow it's going to be the coldest day of the year and the pressure is going to be the highest it's been all year. And, you're, and, you're, and your movement is saying core area. And, and I'll be like, okay, so did you hunt that day? And what did you see? And he's like, I saw nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, precisely. Yeah. And here's why. Because that buck is just saying, this is all weird and new. And my hope is I've aggregated enough fat that I can just sit this day out and wait for the next day. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? If you're a mature old buck, right? And, you, and you're like, wow, every time the temperature goes down, the pressure goes up, I see hunters everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. What about... But when it drives those does into heat... Well, doe being in heat is a totally different Totally story. different ballgame. Yeah, totally different. Yep. What Absolutely. about what about low clouds, storms moving in? Yeah, clouds have a lot to do with the moon and variability and visibility at night. That's okay. where I see clouds really get Because one of the main factors that Lee and I play into is low clouds. A day that is cooler than normal... 
rain. When a, lot a front too. has come through, it's been rainy. Clouds are still Dude, low. Rain does it, but like ra- not so much rain that it's like you get soaked when you go out. But yeah, like you're just, right. just a little bit oh. to where it's like it's miserable, but you're not getting soaked. I killed sick. That's why rain. I love talking to guys like you and like Johnny Stewart yeah. or Bo is because you guys will say shit like that, and I'll be like precisely because, yeah. and I've said this before, and people. If you like, I was on the Southern Outdoorsman, I think it's called podcast, and I said the same thing. If I lived in the Southeast and I was getting a light rain, you better be in the damn cooler woods all day, damn long. It was you just nailed it on the back. head. You better. They be are freaking moving all the time, and I actually think it has. Like I trained my, I, I trained dogs growing up. Well, not trained. I worked with dogs growing up on for like um, pheasants and shed antler hunting. And then I trained my own, own my own dog when I was uh, how to shoot in right? Maryland. How to shoot? <laughs> Another inside joke. Um, on on shed antler hunting, and he's been in place. We go to Green Ridge State Forest, and he'll find fifteen antlers in the afternoon. He's just a psycho when it comes to shed antler hunting. He does his best work in light rain. When there's like a light, tight, like a like just like a like a from a mist mm-hmm. to like a light pour mm-hmm. like it's not pouring it's just what do you think that is like perfect football weather i think i had so i actually talked to garrett prawl about this the diy sportsman and he had found some studies or had read something where um like blood trackers i believe it was garrett but it was blood tracker dogs that worked for like the fbi and other places had found the same thing that their dogs could track better in like a light rain and what they is thought the humid- it was like the humidity in the air. Well, yeah, transmitting it was the moisture in the better? air held the smell. And yeah, it, huh. It stayed longer, and so they feel safer because they can smell better. So they're moving more. Yeah, and they're and they're picking up more, and it's preserving the scent. Yeah, because it's kind of like in the air, and it's not going anywhere. Um, whereas if you just get like either it's dry, right? When it's super dry, the scent's not staying there for very long. Mm-hmm. It's just evaporating. It's going away. Or when it's super wet, it's getting washed away. Yeah. But when it's like that in between, it's just hanging, it's just hanging there. Exactly. And and I saw that ex- precisely with my um, short haired pointer when I, I, I would I would wait for like my favorite days to go shed antler hunting with him um, would be when there's like a light mist or a rain or something like that. And he would just go nuts. Man, if it's raining here. And then it's a break in the rain. You better get your ass in the tree. I mean, yeah. it was just like three, two days ago with me. Yeah. That deer showed up. I put the camera out. Deer showed up the next morning. A front came through. Rain all day. Temperature dropped. And I was like, it was supposed to be a nasty storm until like six o'clock. But the storm moved out by like 3.30. And I was like, I got to get in. So I drove over there, got stuck in traffic. Got there at like 3.45, walked around the side of the house, and as I was walking in, this I, I saw the buck coming down the trail. Like I was literally 30 yards from the blind. Uh. Buck starts walking down the trail in this like light mist rain, and I have to stop and just watch this buck feed in front of the blind for about three minutes and just keep going. Uh. And it was it's like those kind of days... Porter. Any other day where it's like good, like bluebird skies, like that deer's not moving until right before dark. But right. a day like that, where the as soon as that that front moves through, the winds stop. They're they're getting on their feet and they're moving. I I think they also want to advertise their um, 
their dominance by hitting scrapes too after they get washed freshen out. Freshen them up. Mm-hmm. Freshen them out and yeah. be like, oh, I can hit this one first. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I also sure. see that for sure in the southeast is that there'll be, you know, areas where, where these academics are, are, are tracking where these, um, these perennial or like these community scrapes are. They're getting worked every year. Bucks will try to hit those things quick. After so like that, harsh that's rain. probably a really big tip right there is hunt a scrape. If you know where a dominant scrape line is, hunt that scrape line yeah, right oh, after I mean, the rain. It, or if you know where a big community scrape is, like those yeah. car hood scrapes, yep. um, hit those right after a rain. Yeah. Because they, they, it's just like they, they know all of the deer are around there. I'm, again, I'm assuming. I don't know this because I'm <laughs> the, the deer don't respond to the questionnaires. So I'm not, <laughs> they don't, I don't know. They don't. So, but I assume that it's like, oh, I can go get my scent there. And if Betsy and and, and Wilma get by there, <laughs> they're going to smell me right away and then come find me or they know where I'm bedded or whatever. Like they're just, they're trying to get there to advertise first. They're trying to be first to market. You know, what's interesting. <clears throat> you m- mentioning the deer get filling out a survey or whatever. They actually, we, we did it. Drew and I did a, uh, video early this summer on uh canine uh we had a police officer that had a trained canine and he came out and helped us do our best with a scent control video and he told us that the police force actually tried to train deer to to smell like drugs bombs that kind of paraphernalia i was like i was blown away i was like they for real tried to train a freaking deer that's awesome to walk around and be like alert to a bomb or whatever <laughs> that's awesome <though. clears throat> so i thought that was pretty wild but <clears throat> i think that um i think we're probably getting down to it here boys i feel like i feel like that was a lot of uh i feel like the first part of this podcast was all over the place talk yeah. nothing about hunting I and hope we kind of we kind of brought it home yeah i hope it's entertaining i do feel like the end here we kind of jumped into uh, some valuable information for sure. And, I, will, uh, I will say before we jump off here that if you have users or, or listeners that are using the app, I should say, that we're going to be adding some um, mapping that I think is yeah. Gonna, there's, a, there's a big update. Destroy anything else that's out there, and if they want to get on now and they're listening and they're this far in, I guess this is our way of kind of like you know paying it forward. Because I'll have to add, I'll have to raise the price somewhat when we integrate this mapping, but if they want to get on before then, they can get you know a cheaper price for the year. But um, this stuff, this 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 mapping is going to blow everybody away. It's it's that, that's what's cool is like this is just the beginning. Like oh, you're dude. you're continuing to evolve this thing, and we're six like, or seven months in, and like people will people will message and be like. Oh, well, you don't have this thing that Onyx has. And it's like, yeah, Onyx has been around for 10 years. I'm going to have everything that Onyx has by next summer. Yeah. And that's what I think is cool is that, like, what you're capable of is, without a doubt, this is going to be the next level. Kind of already is the next level of, uh, you know, mapping slash predictability apps that are uh, helping hunters hopefully become more successful. And, and just minimize the t- amount of time they have to spend away from mama. Yeah. Or if, or, or if it's mama hunting away from papa or any of the kids or whoever. Right. right? So anything that we can do to help is, uh, you know, important. And, that's, and get I, more people hunting. 100%. Because, you know, I was just reading on your guys' YouTube um, comments the other night. Like someone did something like, you know, you guys don't want more people hunting. It's like, 
We all want more people hunting. We That's can't, the only way we, this culture survives. We can't dive into that. That's for the next podcast. <laughs> oh, well, I won't be on that one, so I'm going to talk uh, about might it right be. now. You might be. I, all I'm saying is people always ask me, like, why am I doing this or what am I doing? And it's like I, I'm having a hell of a time getting my son into hunting right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all I do is hunt. It's all I think about. It's I, He comes in the, in the morning. He brings me a coffee in the morning. I'm sitting at the computer. I'm coding or I'm talking to someone or I'm evaluating stuff with you guys and coming up with the next new idea. And he's watching me do this. And I'm like, hey, let's go out and, like, you know, kill a doe tonight. He's like, ah, you know, I'm not doing that. But he'll be all over TikTok or, you know, which I've outlawed for him now. Or he'll be um, – <laughs> You know, trying to do sports. Sports is what, that's fine, whatever. But I can't get them into hunting. And it's like, if we are not getting people interested and not recognizing that the the smartphone is the next space for the interaction of messaging and, and information sharing, and that this is where we need to uh, pull the next generation into to get them interested in hunting, we're just going to miss it all. And we're going to have people who aren't voting for hunting. They're not voting for public lands. And they're not tolerant of people to come and hunt on their properties. So it's going to be more impossible for you guys to get access. It's going to be more impossible for people like Bo or Johnny to get access up in, like, northeastern Pennsylvania. Or to have public lands that aren't going to be, you know, sold out by the government. And then we're all we're all going to be screwed. Yeah. And the deer suffer. Because they overfeed, they get overpopulated, yeah. and they... They lose funding. Yeah. And so we need as many people hunting and as interested um, and donating and, you know, participating as possible. And anyone who thinks the other, it's denial. Mm-hmm. Like when I see, and I'm not, I'm not, I know you guys would never do it in a million years because you're, you know, you're very understanding of the demographic of people who are watching what you're doing. But when I read those like hater comments where people are, like, you know, shitting on what you guys are doing or saying, like, you guys don't want more people or whatever. It's like, if they could spend two months watching, like, how many people you guys are trying to get interested, bringing other people out, putting them in your spots, um, sharing your, your guys' love for the outdoors. And it's like, it's obvious from my perspective that you guys are trying to get more people involved. And those people are just... It's far easier to cut someone down who's doing something that you wish you could do instead of going out there and actually doing it. Mm. And and I hope if those people are listening, they just decide to go out there and knock on some doors and try to hunt some, you know, some urban land or, or you know, agriculture land or egg land or whatever. Egg. Egg. And that they just go out there and put themselves on the line and they try to do something. And then, you know, it could be that, you know uncle down the road or this old grandmother or someone who's got some land, maybe, you know, 20 acres and they let you get on it. There's been a deer back there. who has been, you know, living high on the hog mm-hmm. and he's seven, eight years old. And maybe it's his time. And hopefully you guys inspire them to go out there and do these things. Very well said. Very well said, Bill. Instead of but I would, uh, crapping on what you guys yeah. are doing. Well, to bring this full circle, very well said, but to bring this full circle, <laughs> How in God. the world could you trust a guy to set to correctly pronunciate the word niche when he pronounces ag like egg? I don't know. That's all I have you to say me. about that. I just think that I you're also a say, bad, bad I also source. say 
Could you get me a grocery bag? Bag. Bag. Instead of a grocery bag. So anyways, which sounds weird to me. I want to referring to your pronunciation skills. I I uh, I don't think you were a good reference for that. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I want to touch on what's next with the app and kind of the features that are coming down the road. I don't know how many things you want to give away because a competition might try to knock it off. B. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty confident the the competition won't knock it off because I've talked to their developers. Yeah, but but they might. Let me let let me say this: they might try to fake it. You have the deer prediction stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. We've built some of the mapping portions of the app. It's awesome, but some of the things that we're talking about and the ideas that you have that are more that they're more than ideas. They're actually they're getting put in. They're getting coded as we speak. Yep, are by themselves each game changers. Yeah, I think so. So we have like right now we have about about 20 I think it's I think the number is 23% of the US we have right now that are in like extremely high definition and most of it's focused around cities. Mm-hmm. Um and we've tasked this company to go out and get stuff that's more urban or for, I'm sorry, more um rural. A rural focused and like, you know, uh, public hunting spots and those types of things. The Allegheny State Forest. We're going to be flying over this summer, where they're going to be getting flying like, with airplanes and not with satellites. airplanes and not satellites exactly, and getting really high resolution imagery to where you can literally measure the spread on a buck if it's out in the field. Yes, or you can you can measure how tall a tree is, or you can. And then the other thing we're doing too is, in about three weeks, you're going to be able to highlight a spot on the ground like where we're sitting right now and you're going to be able to see it from the north, from the east, from the south, and the west. So you'll be able to switch the map and you'll be able to look at it from different angles. So a lot of people don't know that or even that that technology is available, but that'll be out there very soon. And we're going to go from about 23% to about 45% of the U.S. is going to be in this high-resolution mapping, very high-resolution mapping. And we're going to define some areas over the summer and we're going to try to get to like by the end of the summer, I hope to be at like 47, 48%. doesn't sound like a big jump, but that's a ton of land. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, hundreds of thousands of square kilometers of land. Um, that's the first thing we're going to do. Then we also have some scouting features that are essentially going to show people like, hey, in this area, like, it's essentially what you'll do is you'll highlight where you hunt. And then the Apple, the application will be like, "Hey, focus on these areas. Go drop some car- cameras in these areas." And again, the, the focus of the app is not to give you the answers; it's to give you ideas, and like just to kind of allow you to be more prudent with your time. Because um, a lot of our hunters, you know, they have like three between three and seven vacation days a year. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want an application that's going to try to leverage that all of that scientific consensus? to try to show you the best places that you should be or the best times you should be there um, to optimize your time. Because whether it's you're putting meat on the table or you're enjoying time with your son or your daughter or you're just trying to get out and disconnect from life and just be in nature and enjoy yourself and and be productive while out there, that's what we're trying to do with the application and not waste people's time. And then we, we, you know, we just, we just had an update today where I think we perfected the measuring tools. And I think the way that we do measuring is a lot better than how the other companies do measuring. Uh, we have high contrast, um, GPS waypoints, 
that I think really look nice that will be added to the map here in the next few days. We have this wear feature for scouting that I just talked about. And then the last thing I think, there's two last things that are worth mentioning is I'm testing it right now, but we're, we have some really good interaction on how uh, you can mark properties where you have access. So, so I guess the use case would be, say you guys go to a house, you knock on a door and you ask for access and they say no. You would mark on the application, you'd say this is red. This is like an area we don't have access to because these people have explicitly said, you know, not only no, but F no. Like you can't hunt this property. Mm -hmm. So you mark it red. And then say a quarter later, three months later, they sell that property. You will then get a notification and that property will turn purple and say you need to go back there and ask for for that access again. Mm Mm-hmm. Because someone else is there now. Someone else owns that property. But then it also allows you to track all the properties where you've sought access. Because if people take you guys seriously and what you're doing seriously, you're knocking on doors, you know, one, two, or three times. Yeah. Like, you're not just the first time. You might have to build a relationship with someone mm-hmm. or go back a couple of times or, you know, demand a no instead of just like, you know, well, let's just wait and see or blah, 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 blah. And so when you can track that in an application, um, that's very important. So that'll be out there in the next couple of weeks. And then the last thing that we'll add over the spring is for the people who, the psychos, this is for the psychos. And I say that with love because I am a psycho. Um, We will allow users to order their own back catalog imagery from a time and place where we couldn't order all of it, but it's available. So they can go back and be like, oh, I really want this March 1st imagery where all the leaves are off the trees from this area in Pennsylvania where I can never get imagery like that. They'll be able to order that and host it on their own map. But then also if they go like get a crop drone, they can ingest and display their own imagery on that map. And um, Or if they find other image repositories where they where they have to like screenshot imagery and actually paste it in there that later that will be available as well. Um, we call the capability Skywatch. But then what the last thing they'll be able to do with that is if they run an outfitter or like me, they're a psycho, um, they can actually task a satellite to go out and grasp the inner, the imagery mm-hmm. for them. So they can be like, look, the best time of the year, you know, before the buds and when everything's truly dead, it's like February twenty third, mm-hmm. right? So I want imagery on February 23rd. So I'm going to task a satellite to fly over this area. Now, it's not going to be as high resolution as what we get with airplanes. Like intrinsically, it just can't be because it's not an airplane. It's a satellite that's, you know, in the geosynchronous orbit at like, you know, 15,000 miles above the Earth's um, surface. But what it will be is imagery where you will see every cut and every trail because it's sun synchronous. You'll see everything that's going on on the ground. It just won't be as high resolution where you can measure the height of the tree. And the deer just ran by. Yeah, you guys you see that? that? Yeah. No, you, that I what saw that it. was? Oh, you saw it? No, I saw it. Just went like that. What? Where? From there to there. Well, like I saw its tail, right over there. I heard something running. I didn't know no, what it was. No, it just went like that. <laughs> There's. I like swear bet- to you, between us and the house. <laughs> well, no, it ran. It came up like this and then went that way. Like as I was talking. You you heard it, right? Yeah, yeah I heard, heard it. it. Yeah, it went just like that. <laughs> it came up this way and went that way. It's on to us. 
No, it's Bucks chasing. God needs to get out of here. And the application <laughs> Trust is, me. has been absolutely telling us that. It's, I didn't say this earlier, but there was a rabbit that ran like right behind you guys about an hour ago. Oh, really? Yeah, it was cool. Anyway, that's what we're adding in the next few weeks. Um, for sure, it'll all be done by the next season. And we have more stuff we're adding for next season. And then we're having a Spartan Forge retreat this summer where we're going to get all of you pro staffs together and make sure that we're doing this all right. Because I think the thing that's different about this app from every other app out on the market is, and I can tell you this because I've dealt with the other apps and I've been in the rooms with them when they're planning things. Most of them plan with money at the top of the value hierarchy, which I understand when you're a large business, money's got to be at the top. The top of our value hierarchy right now is what do I, what do the hunters want on our pro staff? Mm -hmm. That's the top because between myself, Jimmy, and Vaughn, who are the other founders of this company, um, they're, they're, they're two. When I say this, I've met some of the smartest people in the world. They're two of them. And I mean, I've dealt with guys. I mean, Jimmy's, I, Jimmy's a new man, though. He's changed. He is a new man. He's <laughs> rather out. More. <laughs> he, we got Jimmy. He came out for the veteran's hunt, and we got him in a rut stash, and he hasn't gone back. He got on one pod, yeah, one podcast. The guy changed forever. He, yeah, he is a different man. <laughs> Demeanor's gone. Yeah, I mean, ton of ego, but <laughs> it was probably good for him. He needed a little ego, but um, truly, some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And like I said, I've I've dealt with people at MIT, Lincoln Labs, DARPA, like the mad scientists of the free world. And they're right up there with them. So between the three of us, when you guys come up with a crazy zany idea, yeah, our challenge is to make it work. That's the difference is like most other companies are relying on outsourced coders. Yep. And money. And, and when you come up with an idea, it's like, okay, India. well, give me six months to go through the board and then yeah. I'll send it out to my outsourced coders. I can call you on the phone and be like, hey, here, yeah, I mean, this you is what guys we should did do. That. Yeah. I mean, we you guys came up with like, um, what was it? I was about to go to Scotland for vacation after I retired from the military. And you're like, hey, we should come up with a way to present to people what the predictions mean. Yeah, the GPS data. The what does GPS it look like data on the map? Mean, what's that look like on a map? And we literally, I was literally in the hotel the night before I flew out to Scotland. And we mapped it all out. And we had it coded and built and displayed uh, within four weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's what this company is going to do. We're going to yep. respond to the hunter and anybody, I challenge you, go and message any one of these other companies and tell them that you want something and then go and talk to somebody who's messaged me <clears throat> right now. I just did the numbers the other day. I'm answering about 80% of our social media interactions. I can't do all of them, but I'm trying my damnedest. Like every time I sit on a toilet or I'm going <laughs> to sleep or I'm taking my pre-workout before I go to the gym, I am interacting with people Toilet who use the, great, the application. Great workspace. It and is the pre-workout helps you put you in that workspace. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> does. <clears throat> but I'm I'm dealing with these people. I'm like, hey, this would be this. This would be great. This would be great. This would be great. I build a ticket. I screenshot when they said this to me, and I follow up with them. And I'm like, hey, dude, when you said it would be great to do this, I built that. Here it is. I thank you. Mm -hmm. And here's like 50% off. Or here's 100% off for the year. Like In some cases, I give these guys, when they give me good ideas. So this is... This is, you know, the cliche is by the people, for the people. That's what this application is, by the hunters, and it's for the hunters. And I'm taking all of my cues from hunters. Which, the, which is a huge reason of, of why we were excited to work with you and, and kind of why we are continuing to be excited to work with you. Is like It's a very cool thing to be a part of, and it's just very different from all I'm, these 
industry things that are kind of out there. And we're going to keep it tactical. Yeah, for sure. It's going to stay at this level where I, where I as the CEO, am interact, and I don't like saying CEO, I as the founder am interacting with the people that have critiques of my application and I'm telling them. Like dudes will call me or will say something in Instagram where they have some good input and I'll video call them. And I'll be like, that shit's great. I'm going to give you a year. Like I give them the year for free and then I'll implement what they said and then I'll show them. That's happened at least four times. Boys. (coughs) Very good. It's one in the morning. It is? Is it really? Yes. Oh my God. It's probably been five hours. And I will refer to how I started this podcast. (laughs) Thank you for tuning into the Seek One podcast, the podcast that will most likely get us canceled. We will catch you next time. Oh, good. Very good.